I'm an 80s woman, just like you. And I've discovered a new pantyhose that really fits my crazy lifestyle. Not to mention my tremendous rear end. It's the only pantyhose that tightens your tummy, flattens your thighs, and whitens your teeth. It's made with natural fiber, calcium, iron, and it leaves your whole bathroom smelling fresh. I demand a lot from life, and I expect just as much from my hosiery. So I'm glad to know that this pantyhose can coat my stomach and turn hamburgers into steak burgers while it reduces my tax burden. What do you call a pantyhose that can do all this? Sheer nonsense! So on your next shopping trip, pick up the cracked egg with the picture of Bozo on the front. Because if you buy sheer nonsense, you'll know you got hosed. Well, that's certainly a good point at which to start the show this morning, isn't it? I think so. 1008 at WYNZ. <clears throat> Boy, I'm getting choked up from the cigar. Somebody sent over all these big Cuban cigars the other day, and I'm going to smoke all of them. There are about 30 of them in the box. I'm going to smoke them all today just to get ready for Taffy's show. Anyway, Bill Cosford, the movie critic. Now, don't get hysterical because we're not going to talk a lot about movies. He doesn't know that yet, but, uh, well, I'm sure he probably does. But he's going to be here at 11 o'clock for the last three hours of the show. But in this first hour, I don't know how to say this. I really don't. But it's just so depressing and so morbid. Now, we're not going to talk about Westinghouse and the station being sold today. That's depressing enough. But um, Saturday's show that we did here, and I, I want to say these things in the right way because I don't want to sound ungrateful to the people who came here on Saturday and who at least had the guts to stand up for something. Mike McKay and Bill Tanner and Irene Richard and Jeff Gonzer and Jeff Chase. At least we had five people from FM radio in this market who had the guts to come here and speak out on our So Far campaign and speak out about free speech. And uh, I thought they did an excellent job. Tanner, in particular, really was very articulate and uh, knew the issues and laid it all out there. The problem is that since that show, the response that we've had has been so minimal as to be embarrassing. I mean, I really was naive enough to believe that that four-hour show was going to be a catalyst for just a monumental response, that the money was going to be pouring in here and that people would be sending in their names and addresses. And, you know, the bottom line is, and I hate to say this because, again, it makes me sound like an ingrate, and I don't mean it in that respect, but the bottom line is that the people who listen to those radio stations don't do anything. The people who listen to FM in this market are like, um, they're just takers. You know, they're button pushers. And if they uh, like the music at a given time, they punch it up and they listen. Then as soon as somebody starts talking, they punch up something else. And if you really believe that somebody who's listening to music is going to be an activist or going to be involved or send their name and address in unless they can win something, you're dreaming. It just isn't going to happen. And that, that what, what can I say? And what makes it even more frustrating is that the cowards in AM radio around this country, they won't touch this thing with a 10-foot mezuzah, okay? They just won't touch it. They won't get involved. And I keep uh, people keep giving me names and phone numbers, and we keep calling the producers of these shows all over the country zippity doo okay? I mean, the big deal that we had so far was the uh, two and a half hours I did with Bob Lasseter over at WPLP in Tampa, and uh, about 15 minutes that I did with a station in Attleboro, Massachusetts, okay? Those are the two biggies. And the rest of the people, we've contacted plenty of them. They don't want anything to do with this, all of these courageous, ballsy broadcasters. You know, if the ad in New York that appeared in the New York Times on Saturday, if the day before 
Howard Stern Friday morning would have come on here and said, hey, listen, pick up the Times tomorrow morning, and there's going to be an ad in there with, uh, you know, about free speech and about the FCC, and fill out the coupon. We could have had mailbags full of those coupons with names and addresses. We could have really gotten it off the ground. But Howard and his people operate in a vacuum, and the other people in this business, most of them, are just prostitutes. That's all. I've told you that for years. They're just whores. They're just taking. And isn't it pathetic that a medium where we can exercise, at least to a great degree, free speech and try to get people involved in something, uh, we just can't accomplish much of anything. And it's really a tribute to the people in my audience and to this show, because from Tampa, what do we get? A $5 check from some guy in Clearwater out of a two-and-a-half-hour show. Needless to say, from the show in Attleboro, Mass., we didn't get... And, you know, we've gotten a quarter. There was some guy taped a quarter to the coupon in the New York Times. So we've gotten $5.25 from outside of the Dade, Broward, Palm Beach area, and the rest of it has all come from right here from my audience, which, again, is a great tribute to the people who listen to this show. And I guess, in a way, a tribute to the fact that uh, I've got, run with this thing since uh, the 16th or 17th of April, the last month since the FCC came out with this ruling. And I was naive enough to believe that other people in this business are going to really get on the bandwagon and fight. And they don't know how to fight. They don't have the guts to do it. They just, uh, you know, sit back and, hey, I'm going to do whatever I want. And then when somebody gets taken off the air, or when this decision goes all the way to the Supreme Court and those uh, senile right-wingers up there say, hey, listen, we think this is great, then it'll be too late. I mean, we've raised $13,000. We have, I think, over 10,000 signatures now, and it's all from this show. 99% of it is from this show. As you know, the other AM broadcasters in this market are too paranoid. They're not going to get involved, the ones who have an opportunity to really speak to their audience and to try to motivate them. We did have the one guy who's out there in San Diego today, you know, Mike Miller, with his 43,000 signatures or whatever it is, to get the Super Bowl game here in 1990. Now, that's important, and that's really going to be, you know... Very effective, too, I'm sure. The rumor has it that about 25,000 of those signatures allegedly, uh, you know, were gotten in one little bar where they have like 20 people a day come in. So, you know, you figure that out for yourself. But even assuming that it's accurate and that they got 43,000 signatures, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the first three or four months of this year when we were doing all the business with Hallandale and the Sweet and Low and the Early Bird Dinner. And, man, I'm telling you, we couldn't get enough media coverage. I mean, all the way around the world, to the Philippines, to China, AP, UPI, everybody. All the wire services wanted it. Everybody was here taking pictures. All the local TV stations were just all over it. Newspapers, big spreads in the papers. Hallandale Vice. Did you see the uh, amount of coverage we got in the Herald this morning? I mean, Linda Thornton was here almost the entire show on Saturday. And again, I don't want to sound ungrateful, but here's a big article, Linda's weekly Wednesday column about radio. Sejas hopes to make WOCN the voice of Miami again, and it's all about Spanish-language radio. Well, who the hell who reads the English-language Herald gives a damn about Spanish-language radio? And the answer is virtually nobody. Then we got Roger so far soars, and we have uh, two little paragraphs about uh, the fact that Tanner, McKay, Gonzer, Chase, and Richard joined me on Saturday, et cetera, and so on, and that, that's it. That's the coverage. The Sun Sentinel at least gave us a little bit more on uh, Sunday. 
And Channel 4 and Channel 6, I will say, did a very nice job. They gave us a lot of coverage. The other channels in the market, 7 and 10, they didn't feel it was important enough to cover. They did feel it was important enough to come to the Diplomat Mall. That was a big timus. That was a big deal to come to the Diplomat Mall to see if a bunch of old farts were going to attack Neil. That was big news. That was important. You see, this is the kind of world that we live in. And I can't change it, and that's the sad part, because the things that are important, you can't motivate people to do anything about. And I guess it's a minor miracle that I've been able to motivate enough people to do what we've done so far. But rather than waste your money on another newspaper ad that nobody's going to pay any attention to, what we're going to do is spend most of that money to print the postcards that I talked about last week for people to send to the members of Congress, the House and the Senate, and ask them, do you support censorship? And to get them involved in this. And we do have Larry Smith, Congressman Larry Smith, coming on the show tomorrow for half an hour. And this is exclusively what we're going to talk about. Because I'm just not going to throw in the towel. First of all, too many people have, you know, given too much money and made too much effort. And if I have to do it myself, I'll do it. But it's pretty pathetic. It's embarrassing. And people, you know, there's another station in this town that once upon a time, I don't have to mention snoozes, call letters, once upon a time they fancied themselves, I should say we, because I was there the first six years it was on the air, we fancied ourselves as the real catalyst in the community. I mean, we were involved in every kind of campaign and trying to get people involved. And isn't it amazing that not one person over there, even whiny Ron Sachs, who was, you know, sent the letters over here about his journalism organization, and they're all behind me, and he gave his little uh, laurel on Channel 10 on his darts and laurels before he left over there. Uh, there isn't anybody over there who's got the guts to come on the air and try to get people involved in this. But again, it's not a South Florida issue. We shouldn't be the only ones getting people involved in this around the country. It should be every major market, every minor market ought to be involved in this. They don't want to do it. They're either not interested, they don't think it's sexy or exciting enough, or they're scared, or a combination of the above. I mean, God forbid that we should actually take on the FCC and bring focus attention on ourselves. Like waving a red flag. Hey, look at us, we're troublemakers. It's really pathetic. So when you think about the Gary Hart business and Tom Fiedler and McGee standing outside, you know, his townhouse in their raincoats, and you think about all of that, it shouldn't surprise you at all now, because the media is obviously, mass media in this country are just totally into sensationalism and yellow journalism. Things that are important, like preserving our rights or preserving the democracy, hey, who cares about that? It doesn't sell. That's why when you turn on that great journalist Ted Koppel at night, most of the time, you know, you've got a Jerry Falwell on there or a Jesse Jackson or some outrageous figure in the news who gets people crazy. It's 1018 at WINZ. Let's do our first break, and we'll come back after this. Are you looking for a new way of decorating your home or office? Then listen to this. 22 minutes past 10 at WINZ. Neil Rogers with you till 2, and Daffy will be along. And uh, don't forget, Bill Cosford of the Herald is going to be here from 11 to 2. We'll talk a little bit about movies and a lot more about free speech and about uh, the Miami Herald and good journalism. I wonder if Cosford's going to be wearing a trench coat. No, I don't think so. I know that comes as a great disappointment to some of the people in the audience, but there actually are a few people at the Herald I really like a lot, like Carl Hyacin and Cosford and Linda Thornton, in spite of Linda's very minimal coverage that we got this I was really bitterly disappointed to see that. And maybe it's not all her fault, because I uh, did get it through the grapevine that she is under a lot of pressure to write more about Spanish-language radio at the Herald. So we can't really blame it on Linda directly. 
The Herald is continuing with their bending over backward, their pandering desperately thing. Remember a few months ago we were talking about the radio listings in the Herald, and I think we cured them of that. Remember the radio highlights had all those Palm Beach County stations that nobody can hear in Dayton Broward and all those guests on the talk shows? In fact, they had more Palm Beach stations than they did Dayton Broward. And lately, since we've been screaming about that, uh, they've stopped doing it. And, of course, uh, that was part of their desperation to pander to Palm Beach County. But now they've drawn in. You know, now we start out with Tomas Garcia Fuste, whose topic this morning was the anniversary of the Republic of Cuba, en Espanol, of course, and who's always got the first listing there every day. I mean, you can go to the bank on it. He could be talking to Porky Pig in Espanol, and that's going to be the first listing in the radio highlights. And it's just a game. It's just uh, it, the whole thing is just a game. Nobody really cares about things that ought to count. And the one thing about the American people, they may not be good, but at least they're consistent. Oh, yeah, Daffy was on 23 this morning. I forgot to watch that. That was at 9 o'clock, was it? Maybe some of our people, uh, well, how would they have watched it? It probably was all in Spanish, right? They must have interpreted what she said, or was she doing it in Spanish? God only knows, and even he can't be sure. Well, at any rate, you know, Daffy's involved again in this very divisive business, this English-only thing. And I can. And this is also going to disappoint, uh, disappoint some of the real hate mongers out there. But I absolutely refuse to get involved in that again. You know, here we are battling for the First Amendment, for the right of free speech. The Constitution doesn't say Congress shall make no law regarding freedom of speech in English. It just says they, shan't, they shouldn't make any law abridging free speech, period. You can't legislate what language people are going to speak. You can't legislate common decency and courtesy. That's the real issue, is whether people are going to be courteous and whether they're going to try to accommodate each other and be, uh, be a little bit more neighborly, or whether they're going to keep using language as a weapon, which has gone on in this community for years. And the one way to guarantee that they're going to keep going on and using language as a weapon is to continue with these English-only amendments. Back when we started the thing in 1980 in Dade County, there was a reason for that. There was a message. It was a safety valve because of the Marielle Boatlift and the other things that were going on in the community. We were ready to have riots in this town. But to continue bringing it back and rubbing salt in the old wounds over and over again and opening the community up and dividing it is so counterproductive. And when I sit back and I watch the way this individual continues to conduct herself and continues to be involved in every kind of racial and ethnic slur, I, I don't understand it. I, you know, well, I do understand it. I'm, I'm nauseated by it. I'm revolted by it. Let's pick these poor black people up by their bootstraps. It's a big joke. This them against us kind of mentality. And then I begin to wonder if it's only an accident that all of these bigots get through on the air on that particular program and are given an almost unlimited amount of time to spew their hatred. I don't think it's an accident. I think it's by design. Maybe we ought to go back to those good days of the restrictive clauses again, where all the Jews would have to be jammed into one place and all the Cubans have to be jammed into another one, and certainly the blacks, if we have to put up with any of them, you know, we'd have to jam them into some part of town where nobody would ever have to go. I'm sure that there are some folks of that ilk who would love to do that, put a big wall up, you know. But God forbid that somebody should come on the air and try to get people involved in something productive and positive. See, there's a line that you draw, or at least that I do. And I'm beginning to realize that in this community, this show is like a total vacuum. This show is unrelated to anything else that's going on in this community, even in this business. 
And again, while I appreciate the enthusiasm and the financial help and the time that they gave the people from the FM coming on this show Saturday, you know, people who listen to sandpaper scraping together on a radio in the name of music aren't going to get involved in defending the First Amendment. They don't even understand it. In addition to which, you know, I sat here and I really believe that this shows you how stupid I am at this late stage of my life. I really believe that we had this enormous audience on Saturday that all the audiences of Tanner and Mike McKay and all these other people were tuned in and listening because they'd been promoting this, that we were going to do that show. And I realize now that that's fantasy. There's no way in the world that it was going to be. Those same people who listened to them on FM were listening to FM on Saturday and listening to their music. They're not going to listen to a talk show. And that's one of the reasons in the last four or five months we've had so many people call the show who are former FM listeners and who say, hey, we're listening to your show now. Because they're tired of listening to a jukebox. Nobody has anything to say on FM. I don't think anybody's really allowed to say anything on FM. Just play the hits and shut up. That's the bottom line. And about the only time anybody does say anything is in the morning when they're given little jokes and little sexual innuendo, which the FCC is very concerned about, by the way. That's the only time you hear anybody say anything. And that's what I've been telling you for so long, is that the problem with this business is nobody has anything to say. And if they do, most of them don't have the guts to say it. And in a lot of cases, uh, those who might fall into neither one of those categories work for management where they're not permitted to say what they might want to say and even have the guts to say, but they're just not permitted to say it. And that's why if this radio station winds up being sold to a Westinghouse or a Capital Cities, it's a very good chance you won't hear Neil Rogers on this radio station because those kind of corporations don't like somebody getting on the air and saying what they think and rocking the boat. They like contrived radio. They've spent too many years in places like Pittsburgh. So you just stop and think for yourselves the difference between the enthusiasm and excitement of the media when it came to Hallandale. And even the enthusiasm of part of the audience. I mean, man, there were people just foaming at the mouth, falling all over each other. Like this is the greatest thing that's ever happened in the history of America. I mean, here's somebody on the air actually talking about crabby old people stealing sweet and low in restaurants. And jaywalking and pointing their canes at the traffic. Hey, it was great, and it was a good time, and it was fun, and it was all true, and it had its place. But to think that the people in the media, my fellow colleagues, so-called journalists, were just falling all over each other. They couldn't get in here. There were days when we had a half a dozen people in here. Over at the Diplomat Mall, man, we had AP, we had UP, we had PP. I mean, we had it all. All the TV stations were there rolling their cameras. This was a big today. And during all of it, I kept asking myself, I don't understand this. I, and I still don't understand it. I mean, I think if they took the breakdown in the last rating they would find in the month of February, we had about a 10 share in midday. I don't think that's ever happened in this market before, except maybe when there were three stations 30 years ago. I don't think it's ever happened. And why? Because we were talking about Hallandale and crabby old people and playing Hallandale Vice. But when somebody comes knocking on your door in the middle of the morning to find out who you're sleeping with or to take you away, don't ask me why. I've been talking about this for eight, nine, ten years now, about the creeping fascism. And in 1980, we put the rubber stamp on it. 
And now everywhere we look, we've got people who want to censor books and burn books and burn phonograph records and self-appointed moralists like Tipper Gore who want to censor lyrics and records and the guy up in Bay County who wants to censor the Red, red Badge of Courage in Fahrenheit 451 and we got to take Playboy and Penthouse out of the 7-Eleven stores because Ed Meese writes a threatening letter to Southland Corporation. And we got a lunatic state senator up in Tallahassee who wants to ban obscene bumper stickers. And a bunch of old bags up in Hollywood who get all bent out of shape because somebody wears a T-shirt on the beach that says, Life is a Beach. And now we got a group of nuts in Washington who want to tell us that uh, they're going to sit and determine what we can say on the air. And the majority of the people in this country couldn't give a good goddamn less. And the majority of the people in this business couldn't give a damn less. And that's the thing that makes me want to puke. This business stinks. This business is full of cowards. Business is full of morons who have absolutely no creativity, not an original thought in their minds. I don't want to mention Alice again. I mean, the performance he put on the air yesterday for four hours was the most, and I only heard minutes of it off and on, the most embarrassing crap I've ever heard in my life. I mean, there are plenty of gay bars around town. If somebody wants to be a professional queen, they can go into a bar and sit around and laugh and mince and titter. I've never heard anything like it in my life. Sure, we've done, we do a lot of humor on this show, and we've had a lot of laughs and all kinds of things that we do, and we tell plenty of jokes, but my God, listening to some wild lunatic mincing for four hours about Rob Lowe and Tom Cruise, and for this is radio, this is somebody's idea of doing a talk show? Boy, and Jack Sturdy's upset with us over here, right? He put on a performance yesterday that even the Diana Ross drag queens would have been embarrassed by. I've never heard anything like it in my life. And that's Big Balls Radio over there. That's the, the mover and shaker, the talk station. News and talk. Kind of like fish and chips now. It's news and talk. You can change the slogan every day, Fowler. It doesn't make any difference. What you're doing is pathetic. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating. Really involved in the community. But boy, when they wanted to contrive a story about some poor bastard who had AIDS that they wouldn't allow in their studio because Mike Thompson and Lee Fowler were homophobic and hysterical, all the media was there. The Weekly News was there. All the little guys with the mustaches, the silly little clones were there. And Channel 10 was there. And Bishop was there. And Dwight Lauderdale and whoever else, all those silly people were there. That was big news. So instead of doing something that you believe in, instead of doing anything, I mean, you know, we do a lot less serious subject on the show. We do almost none of it. Because I know that you can't operate in a vacuum. But when something does come along that's so desperately important that you care about, you find that you're all alone out there on the limb. And the people who want to join you, the few like we had here on Saturday, as helpful as they might like to be, the problem is that they're basically impotent because they're talking to a bunch of morons. They're talking to a bunch of automatons. Can't you just see the little kids who listen to Power 96 sending in their petitions? And again, that's not a knock at Tanner, because he was excellent here on Saturday, and I really appreciate his being here. He means something in this market. But unfortunately, he's talking to a bunch of dodo birds, a bunch of people who don't understand it or won't understand it. 10.35 at WYNZ. Let's take another break here, and we'll come right back. 22 minutes before 11 at WINZ. Neil Rogers with you till 2. Bill Cosford will be along from 11 to 2. And uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see if Bill is still working at the Herald when we finish 
hey, listen, you know, misery loves company. We might as well all go down together. Maybe he can get a job with Westinghouse, opening refrigerators. Huh? He's a Red Sox fan. He'd like going back up to Boston. He can work for WBZ. Yeah, they also make ovens. That's something to think about. I wonder what kind. Big ones? Taffy's probably hoping that uh, that sale does go through. Huh? She'd love to work for Westinghouse. They could make some of those extra-large microwaves. Could fry everybody on death row just in one trip, you know, with one press of a button. Let me give the numbers out, see if we've got anybody that wants to say anything in the last 20 minutes of the hour. Probably not, huh? But we are going to go ahead and print up thousands and thousands of those postcards that are going to be sent to the members of the House and the Senate. At least I hope they're going to be sent, because it's going to depend on the people who are you know, going to fill them out. But I'm not going to back off on this. You know, it reminds me of calls I get every now and then. Well, we're not going to get involved again. You've started so many things and you've given up. Well, again, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, and you can't force the gutless people in this industry around the country to try to protect their own livelihoods and to protect the Constitution. You can't, you know, you can't convince people at CNN or at USA Today or any place else that this is an important issue, or evidently the people at Channel 7 or Channel 10. It's not really an important issue. And you can't convince a guy like Howard Stern and his agent that it's important enough, you know, not, not to operate in a vacuum and go, go out and hold a couple of rallies and have some uh, movie star and celebrities, you know, show up. That doesn't get the job done. The FCC is not impressed by that. And the members of Congress are not impressed, unless, of course, the movie stars come in to testify like Woody Allen about colorization. Then they're duly impressed. And you begin to see that a lot of these people are nothing more like a Howard Stern, for example, he's nothing more than a guy who reads somebody else's material. And he does it very well, and he is very funny. But he just isn't capable of doing any more than that. In fact, the rally that he had in New York drew a couple of thousand people in a city of 12, 15 million people. He drew 2,000, 2,500 people. What the hell is that? We had that many people at the Diplomat Mall. Hollywood, hello. Good morning, Neil. Hi. All right, got to calm down a little bit. You won't make it through the day. Oh, I'm very calm. Um... I'm in a coma. You you have hit the 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 thing on the head so close and so so quick in this program. I, I took my breath away. The the audiences of radio music stations are like uh, they're out of it. Yeah, they're they out of it. Bothered? They don't. And I don't even know why anybody would advertise on one of those stations because they're not listening to the commercials anyway. As soon as a spot comes on, they punch the button. I know I do. Right, right. But 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 you've said something that a lot of people have thought and 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 have have left unsaid, and that's that it it's just they put their head in the sand. They don't want to hear anything. They don't want to be bothered. They have enough trouble making it through the day with their everyday problems, and music is an escape. As long as they have their boom boom box and their conga, and, and their crying cowboy music, and their bumper stickers on their trucks, and yeah. that's their life. And you are have become, you know, it's the truth, but they view it as entertainment. And that's, I think, why Howard Stern up there in New York hasn't been able to, to muster up the support that he felt he had, like, like the... Uh, people that came on your program from the FM stations. Yeah, well, you have to know how to do it. You have to know how to mobilize people and how to motivate them and do something other than sit around and say dickhead 50 times. It doesn't take a lot of talent to do that. They, they are under an illusion that those people are dedicated to them and they love them. They're only listening to the music. 
beyond that, they don't care about well, Stern, any... Stern doesn't play any music, but the bottom line, they're listening to hear, you know, the words that he uses and what he gets away with on the air and to get a good laugh, which is fine. But if, if that's all you can do and you can't, you can't mobilize anybody or do anything, then you're really impotent. Yes, well, you know, I don't know whether... When, I... you've got, when you've got the public airwaves, you know, when you realize the whole FM band in this country is impotent. All it is is just a jukebox. There is, I can't think of anybody on FM in this country anywhere who says anything, who has an audience that will do anything. Well, even on... Un unless they're, you know, giving away a quarter of a million dollars, yeah, then they can get a lot of phone calls. Even TMI Radio and some of the other stations, uh, they say nothing either. They're... Correct, that's right. The, the, the news. Just a different kind of music. Yeah, yeah. But, the, you know, the masses are asses. Like, I don't know if I can say that. Well, look, if we if in one radio program here we could get $13,000 in, in about a month and we could put an ad in a major newspaper in the, you know, the New York Times and we could, you know, get 10, 15,000 signatures on petitions, you can imagine if we had just a hundred, there are 12,000 radio stations, if we had a hundred of them around the country would be participating, we could have a million signatures. That was the idea of the whole thing to begin with. I, I have to say something that's not intended as, as to you directly, but, but causes sometimes have to be fought with with uh, different people pushing that cause rather than the person concerned. You, you find this in every industry. I'm in an industry that we had the same kind of problem with, with trying to do away with it. And we found the only spokesmen that we could get behind our cause were those people in the industry. No one else cared. Yeah. Uh, they were sympathetic. They listened. They agreed. And everybody says it'll never happen. And, and unfortunately, it nearly did happen. Well, all I can say is that it just doesn't have to do with the industry. And again, that health tax is a perfect example. Yeah. One thought it means it's it's not meaningful, and now all of a sudden everybody's realizing it's going to take big dent out of their pocketbook. And uh, there's not much they can do about it, is there? Well, there's not much they're going to do about it. That's the bottom line. There's not much they're going to do. That's a sad thing. Miami, hello. Neil. Yes. Well, I'm glad I wasn't the only one listening to Alice yesterday. Uh, I was just mesmerized. I could not believe what I was hearing. Uh, you know, I, I am so appalled. I, I can't even put it into words because he has reached a new low, and we're not even on at the same time anymore, so there's no competitive factor. But I'm so disappointed and so disillusioned. I mean, you know, again, some, there has to be a point in your life when you grow up, and instead of just being a copycat, and instead of just trying to do something more outrageously and be childish, you've got to know where to draw the line and when, when there's a time to do certain things and when there's a time to, be, to use your time usefully. And this guy, I don't know what he's thinking about. I, I have no idea. He's just, he's just become a uh, a simpleton. Well, I think that show was apropos. One of our Navy ships was just hit, and yeah, uh, there's famine going on. So I think that was that was an apropos. But uh, about an hour to show was spent uh, with Jack Sturdy talking about the moose in Alice's hair. I don't know if you were listening to that. No, I, d I didn't hear that. But it was just unbelievable. I was mesmerized. I'm glad that you got to listen to a little bit of it. I couldn't believe it. I really and truly couldn't believe it. Uh, and, and, you know, the weekly news, the gay newspaper in this community, the people over there who are so upset with me, those petulant queens over there who are so upset, they ought to hang their heads in shame because I guarantee you that they're the first ones that the right-wingers are going to come after if they continue to hold power in this, in this country. They're the first ones they're going to come after and ship off to the oven, just like they did in Germany. But O'Neill said something that they rubbed somebody over there the wrong way, evidently, so they don't send me the paper anymore, and they're not, they're not involved in our free speech campaign at all. They're more, they're more uh, interested in coming on and acting like professional queens on somebody else's talk show than in coming on the air and discussing things that are important, like survival.
And I'm, I, I just can't even begin to put into words the nausea that I feel for people who just refuse to help themselves, who refuse to stand up and have any balls. It's pathetic. It's like we're dealing with some kind of a juvenile game. Oh, the Constitution? What's that? What's that? CNN has been running this thing uh, during the bicentennial. This year is the bicentennial of the Constitution, and they've been running these features I'm sure many of you have seen about the Founding Fathers and on the various amendments. And the First Amendment is one that they keep showing over and over again. Congress shall make no law. Boy, I tell you, the Founding Fathers are rolling over in their graves right now. North Miami, hello. Good morning, Neil. Yes. Uh, in regard to the lack of motivation in this area, I think you missed a little item in the news on your station. Uh, last week, Farwell came on the air complaining that the PTL needed $9 million. $7 million. I didn't miss it. But then he opened, according to the news report this morning, Monday's mail brought him over one million dollars. Yeah, I saw it on the news last night. And this is uh, the most they ever got in one day. They can dig into their pocket for something as ridiculous as that, but something... For and, and, and this is after they've already been shown where their money is going. We've That's seen right. the Mercedes, and we see all the jewelry, and we see all the other, the, the, the big screen TVs, and the mansions, and all of this other business. And these people still want to be conned, man. There's nothing you can do to insult those people. But boys say, hey, listen, you know, there are a bunch of right-wing fascists who are trying to destroy our, our freedoms and make this into a fascist state. Oh, yeah, he's overreacting. Let's, uh, you know, we want to be entertained. I'm embarrassed to be in this business. I really am. I'm humiliated and I'm embarrassed. And as I said the other day, when, when serious journalists, in quotes, consider buffoons like Sam Donaldson to be a journalist, to be legitimate and talk about him, as, you know, and le even legitimize him by talking about him, then what the hell are we talking about? It's a big joke. Miami, hello. Hi, Neil. Yes. Um, I'm gay, and I'm really um, depressed over the weekly news, what they're doing. They're not helping the gay community at all. They're more or less... They're not helping anybody. All they're doing is putting a lot of advertising in well, did you and hear the uh, write, writing about Joe McQuay and his pet cat and all those other supercilious, childish things that they write about. But when, it, when they have the opportunity to really step forward, really get involved in something uh, you know, meaningful against a group of people who are always the first one to be oppressed in this society, I don't see anything going on. Yeah, with the latest findings of the, the blood and AIDS of uh, patient... Uh, accidentally having blood on a uh, on a worker, you know that worker will get AIDS. But um, excuse me, I'm nervous here. But uh, time to act is now. Time to act was way back when when he started accusing gays of having the disease mostly. So that's all I have to say. Okay. Thank you. Ten minutes before 11 at WINZ. Let's uh, take our last break of the hour. Bill Cosford will be here at 11 o'clock. Because first of all, most people aren't gay. And secondly, most gay people don't even have access to it or ever come across it. Uh, but the bottom line is, I think, if nothing else, they're perfect for this market. They fit in perfectly with the media in this market. 
because they're more interested in playing personalities and being childish than they are in really dealing with the important issues. What if you bought Xerox? You know, it's really amazing. Everybody that wants to call in now wants to tell me that Barbara Studley is testifying before the uh, Iran Gate hearings, which I already know. And I did hear her name mentioned last week, and it came as no surprise. See, I sat for at least two years on the air every night, desperately trying to tell the public in this community what a fraud she was. She was nothing but a front for a group of right-wing fanatics, Dr. Joe Cherba up there in his right-wing, uh, whatever they call that organization of his. And uh, when she left the radio, air, the airwaves, they got her a nice cush job, nice honest job selling arms to third world countries. And I told you that a couple of years ago. And boy, did she have people in this community snookered. And she did, did she have much of the Jewish community snookered. Oh, my dear friends, the Jewish people, the Jew, I love them, I love them, my friend Menachem Begin. I mean, here's this little idiotic Gentile out of Nashville with an IQ of minus 500. And boy, all she's got to do is come on the air and go running around and speaking at Hadassah and speaking at this temple. You see, you can't tell the people the truth because they don't want to hear the truth. Don't confuse them with the facts. All they want to see is a face man or woman, as the case may be. Somebody who comes up with a good glib tongue and tells a good story and whispers all the things in their ear that they want to hear, and all of a sudden, man, they're mesmerized. That's how we got Ronald Reagan. That's how we got a moron like Jimmy Carter. That's why we get the kind of leadership that we get. That's why we got a Bob Martinez in Tallahassee. I mean, this man, on a scale of zero, is minus infinity. This man is... is he makes Bob Graham and Ruben Askew look like God, okay? Like Jesus, reincarnate. But boy, we sure loved him, didn't we? We couldn't get enough of him. Because he came on television with those ads showing Steve Padgett with the spectacles on, looking like a goon. And boy, we sure didn't want a governor who looked like that, did we? No, we wanted a governor who looked like Dracula. Only this one isn't just a bloodsucker. He sucks the money out of the taxpayers in the state. I'm not going to elaborate on that line. I could, but I won't. So those of you who are just so mesmerized that Barbara Studley's on your TV set, if you're watching cable news network today during the Iran Gate hearings, don't be surprised. Oh, yes, a good patriotic American selling weapons to third world countries. Terrific. And boy, I'll tell you, the, the frustration night after night after. I think, I think today is going to be D-Day for me. It's going to be the day I declare my own independence. Independence Day on the Neil Rogers Show. The Emancipation Proclamation. We might as well just do our thing, you know, that we've been doing the last four or five months. And I'm going to continue with the postcard effort on so far. But that's it, man. I mean, this is strictly, it, it's strictly a, uh, it's a nursery school, this whole country. It's a nursery school for adults. And that's what you want. That's what you're going to get. And, yeah, you hear a lot of people, in fact, if uh, Westinghouse or Cap Cities buys this station, uh, if they don't do news all day, they'll put some people on the air. They'll come in and read their front page headlines. Oh, my gosh, isn't it terrible about the Stark and the Iraqis? And, oh, boy, how do you think the families feel of those 37 young Americans who are dead? Does it take a genius to know to figure out how the families feel? Of those 37 kids who died for no reason at all, just like the 260 Marines and the hostages and Leon Klinghoffer and, uh, you know, so many others, Robbie Steedham. Americans are dying all over the world under Ronald Reagan, but don't, you know, connect the two. It's all disconnected. The American people, I think we've come full cycle. I think we finally have reached that point. 
at which the American people have been so desensitized to reality and so desensitized to horror and the nightmares and the war and the death and to everything that they're just, it's, you know, I don't know if there's any turning back. It's like we're all falling out of a spaceship. And I, I you know, I'd hate to think that I'm going to have to be around when we finally hit the bottom. Anyway, we're out of time for this hour, real uplifting first hour. Uh, Bill Cosford's coming along from the Miami Herald, which is always uplifting. And Bill will be here to uh, talk a little bit about movies. And hopefully we're not going to get into movie gossip, are we? I mean, we're not going to do that today and talk about, you know, Rob Lowe and uh, Tom Cruise. Alice, I want to tell you, because I know you're listening right now. Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror, Alice. Do you like what you see? Run out of news, weather, sports, or something worth talking about? Check in here. We're... They do they really support have a lot of good causes friends. like this. And we've got 23 of those jackets are already grabbed up. I told you. See, ye of little faith. Glenn always runs around. Ah, oh, no, never happened. Like the ad in the Times. Here it is. Right in my hot little hand is our ad in the prestigious New York Times. And people said it could never happen. Did you buy it in the Post and the Washington Past? That's coming. Good. One paper a week. With your permission. Yeah, one paper a week. Yeah. I mean, unless, of course, it is my we can raise some paper. humongous amount of money. But anyway, uh, so we've got two of the jackets left, the Miami Vice jackets, monogrammed with your name or obscene word or whatever. So if you want to call real quick, like, look at those Broward lines started already. Dade, 624-0191, and in Broward, 764-0707. Something else I want to make sure I do every hour is give the address for so far for the petitions. Or, because I know that all of you, your vast audiences are listening today, Or right? half-vast audience. Yeah, half-vast. Half That's Glenn's audience. Um, all you got to do is write on a postcard or in a letter. If you can't afford donation, you know, first of all, you're probably cheap. But if you can't afford it, that's okay. <laughs> Just write on a postcard or in a letter, I support so far and free speech. That's all. Is that asking a lot? No. We ought to be inundated. We ought to be up to our puppets in letters, right, by Monday? At least the truth of it is, I think we need to say several times to the folks who just tuned in, that this is more ominous than it sounds. A yeah. lot of people say, well, what is the need for Neil Rogers to be able to say douchebag on there? What is the need for Howard Stern to yeah, do Yeah, they don't understand the real issue. This is the beginning of a very dangerous precedent which is against the fundamental freedoms guaranteed to us by our Constitution, by the First Amendment to the Constitution. Okay, we'll pick up on that right after the news. Let me give the address again for your donations and for your name and address. So far, that's S-O-F-A-R, Save Our First Amendment Rights, so far, P.O. Box 2214, Miami 33055. That was much too fast, wasn't it? So far, P.O. Box 2214, Miami 33055. Jeff Bray's here with the headlines, World News from CBS at 11, and we'll come back with our cast of thousands here at 1106. This morning got a big spread on the FM AM jockeys. Does that make any sense? AM jockeying, FM radio? I don't understand it. And it's got a big, huge spread here on all of these uh, important people, Sonny Fox and Herman and McBean and Kevin Kitchens. Definitely one of my favorites, but you can only listen to him in the kitchen. But, boy, that's what it's all about. Bill Cosford is here, the uh, cryptic movie editor, movie critic, whatever the hell he is, for the Miami Herald. And no, you're, that's not what it is anymore, though, is it? Entertainment editor? Did I confuse the two of them? I mixed them there, I think. You know, it's it's in the paper almost every day, right under my name. I don't read your paper. You don't read that paper. No. You will again, won't you? No. No, you've gone through this cycle before. No way. No, I won't subscribe to it again. I read it. For example, I read Linda Thornton's little piece about Spanish language radio this morning and the little uh, tiny blurb that she gave us on our campaign for the for the First Amendment. Yes, I heard you discussing that. Yeah, it was great. 
Well, you felt there should have been more on so far and less, if not nothing, on Spanish language radio. No, I think the reverse would have been perfect. I think if the rest of the article would have been on the First Amendment and what we're doing and on what we had here Saturday, and the little couple of paragraphs would have been on WOCN, I think that would have been more appropriate because most of the people who read the Herald, those who are remaining who read the Herald, speak English. Don't listen to WOCN or WRHC or WQBA That's or true. Radio Mambi. Except that the, we have long had a problem, as has every other English language medium, I think, in the entire area, that there's this whole other thing out there, as you well know, that this thing that operates in Spanish that we've never known anything about. What do you mean about. by thing? Well, it, this whole other span, you know, combination of Spanish language media. But doesn't, of it, which radio doesn't it seem logical, though, that that would have belonged in El Herald? Because the people who get their news in Spanish, and correct me if I'm wrong, are most likely to read it in Spanish also. Wouldn't one, isn't well, there some logic to that? And El Herald has its own radio TV column. Sure. But um, we, we need to know. We went ten years without reporting very much of anything what was going on. If for no other reason than we didn't have a radio TV reporter who spoke Spanish, which is a real problem. But you know as well as I do that stuff goes on at those stations. And but you're not rally. reporting what really goes on. See, that's the thing that's frustrating. Oh, I think you'll find increasingly that we are. But at least we're reporting, you know, what now... Are you reporting the, about the managed the, news, the, the controlled of, news, and the uh, pandering to well, the, the anti-Castro mentality? I think to the extent And the smearing of Neil Rogers and other uh, people in the market on... Uh, I don't know Spanish if, we'll, language if radio. we'll report the smearing of Neil oh. Rogers. That might be just something we'd let slide for a while. Well, it's been going on for years, so I guess you've been letting it slide. Who's going to fill this silence? That was no, I'm just, hey, listen, you're the one who you started right off on this. I, I was trying to get your title right, and all of a sudden you started defensively. Well, no, no. I, one thing I I'll say for Linda Thornton, when she was here last Friday, at least she wasn't defensive. I wanted to encourage she you may to, have been offensive, to but read she wasn't, the Herald again. Only kidding, Linda. Don't get sensitive now. You know First, that it's Joe Johnson and it's Linda, and they're both going to get upset. You know that those of us who can, you know, round up some Herald subscriptions get free prizes and stuff. We get mugs, visors. Oh, I wish I had saved that. Did you see so, the card that they've no, got? I heard which has no address on it. And you know, one thing we about dropped that ours card, in the mail yesterday from the station. It here. really had no no place for your name and address. No. Well, someone. So they just have a card, <laughs> and they paying for the postage. And I checked all the boxes. You know, send me all the free gifts. Bill me. My favorite thing about those cards... I would have enclosed my payment, but there was no envelope. But there's no envelope. You get that a lot. I get it from magazines, too. Checking closed. You know, check How do you enclose a check in check a postcard? Checking closed on postcard? Right. Yeah. Apparently, what they want you to do is put that in an envelope, put your own stamp on it. That way, they save some money. I don't know. But what they do by putting it on a postcard, they discourage you from paying now. They encourage uh -huh. you to check bill me. Well, the way newspapers work, you can probably get a couple months with the free papers that way. Great. Sure. Good idea. Did you hear that, folks? It takes them at least that long to catch up with you. Good. So just check it off on there, bill me, and then when they get the bill, throw it in the wastebasket. Now, that's illegal. You're the one that advocated it, though. Is that illegal? For your own newspaper. No, I think that's just... that just Sure, it's illegal when you order something and you don't pay for it. Well, maybe you're dissatisfied with it. I'm not going to sit here and give strategy for people to beat the Herald. That's ridiculous. You're the one who just came up with it. He said, here's a good way to get a couple of months of free papers. I, just I told you, when he leaves here today, Cosford will be working for the West Kendall Gazette. Well, if that, yeah. Or Sturdy may be looking for a job after yesterday. You might I... write for the Weekly <laughs> News. I remember uh, when I was in college, that was the trick. You'd always send away for trial subscriptions of magazines. You could get through whole semesters. I though. thought that Jack Sturdy was a movie critic. I didn't realize that he was the Luella Parsons of uh, South Florida. No, he's a... He's apparently his is expertise he a columnist now too? is in dish, right? He's in what? Dish, dishing people. He seems to know more about the inner workings of uh, 
Matter of fact, the Gary Hart tip may have come from Jack Sturdy. I don't know. Yeah, they said it's it was possible. from a woman. From a feminine voice. Know. He knows more about uh, more of the kinds of things that shouldn't be any of our business about Hollywood yeah. stars than anyone mm -hmm. I've ever heard of. But he, he and he has an encyclopedic knowledge of it. So the man's I, life. I heard is some of the twisted. things that he said yesterday. I think most of it was wishful thinking. What kind of thinking was that? Anyway, uh, one of the amazing things I said we weren't going to talk a lot about movies today, and I don't know, you know, if that disturbs you, but you really don't ever want to talk about movies anyway. I, know, I always want to talk about movies. No, you don't. You that doesn't want to, and your audience doesn't want to talk no, about movies. We're not interested in them. <clears throat> well, there's, you, there are usually more interesting things going on. Well, you wrote that in column news, a couple of weeks yeah. ago. In fact, uh, you've written two really good columns in a row, which is incredible. Which is st it's staggering. Staggering. The it one about um, colorization, which I thought was great this last Sunday. See, I did go out and I bought the Herald, not specifically to read that, but I did happen to look at it. In self-defense, rather than going out and buying the Herald, you should subscribe because they don't no make chance. much money that way. No chance. Zero chance. And uh, the previous week, you wrote one, was it the week before? About this uh, so far campaign. Two weeks before. And yeah. we need a ream of petitions and hurry, and I read it on the air, and it was great. Well, and we tinkled all over you for it. And uh, <laughs> in the meantime, um, you know, we could send 50 reams of petitions out, but the, the bottom line is that nobody in the um, media really wants to get involved in this thing. That's the other half of what I was saying. I, I understand why we cover uh, Latin, Spanish language broadcasting, and I think we probably ought to do more and deeper of that kind of coverage. But what I don't, what I'm not so happy about is that we reduced the two paragraphs this particular crusade. Um, but talking First Amendment to the American people is just, it's not, it ought to be a real easy thing to do, but most people don't see any problem. No, fact, most they people see problem believe the First Amendment is, freedom of speech means you can say whatever they wa you want as long as they like it. Yes, exactly. And then when you say something they don't like, they think, well, you shouldn't be allowed to say that. A, a classic example of that is that, you know, there's a, there's a tacit... Uh, reluctance by anyone in public, essentially, to uh, to discuss religion. You just don't. You, th there's this idea that you, there are some things you don't make fun of. Religious beliefs are one. Well, why not? Well, I mean, we live in a society in which people who believe one way are constantly bombarding us with reasons that we should join them. But on the other hand, in mainstream media, you will very rarely find anybody come out and and, uh, and like, do the kind like of the material Herald, that you do here. Well, you're not going to find the Herald lining up against uh, against organized religions. Certainly not. Why not? Because the Herald, like uh, I would guess virtually all other newspapers, still lives by that particular dictum that there are some things, quote, that you don't... Sacred cows. Yes, there are sacred mm -hmm. cows, and that is... I mean, if religion... Religion has got to be the last sacred cow, essentially. But note how thing, you know, barriers are breaking. You can now say condom anywhere you want. And six months ago, no one would say condom, right? Yeah. Even Bob Cox, the mayor of Fort Lauderdale, came on the uh, station here some time ago, a couple of months ago. And uh, I think it was one day I was out. He was on with Ernie Sochin, and he said condom on the air. And he couldn't believe it, that he had actually said it. Had he just bought one? I he mean, didn't know what it meant. Was he moving into one on Deerfield Beach? He didn't know what it meant, but he said it. Hmm. So that's a step in the right direction for the mayor of Fort Lauderdale. Of course, uh, pretty soon there won't be anybody young enough to wear one in Fort Lauderdale because all of the people remaining will be impotent, so hmm. it doesn't really make much difference. Well, that's the headquarters of the Weekly News, too, so be very careful. Oh, is it really? And I believe it's in Fort Lauderdale. Like yeah. I said, most of the people remaining will be, but that's another story. Anyway, before we get into the really the heart of the matter here, the astonishing news, and I don't know how many months it's been that we've been prodding you to watch this movie, and it, it, and it would seem as though we're making much about nothing, but you just mentioned religion because it's not a major movie. Not the end of the world, but Mass Appeal with Jack Lemmon. I did see it. I've asked you about several different times because I thought it was a pretty uh, honest movie. I thought that was the thing that I liked. I guess the Catholic Church wouldn't appreciate that. And you finally, 
saw it. Through the intercession of your uh, spanking new producer. Um, Our spanking producer? Giggling Glenn Is that Hill. what it is that makes him like that? He, he produced, uh, or he produced for me, a tape of this. And actually made it, you know, this show is getting kind of rising in its professionalism and ability to get things done. Now, yeah. Oh, yeah. you actually service your guests in advance. It only took us a year. We service our guests in advance. Is that what Glenn did for you? <laughs> he provided this tape uh, in exchange for... Disgraceful. I, for, I forget what consideration. You know, it really was an interesting movie. It was better than I thought it was going to be. For one thing, it had about the only tolerable performance by Jack Lemmon I've seen in 20 years. He was not playing that... That's why we got rid of our last producer. She wouldn't service the guests. No, <laughs> you're still back on that one, are you? No, she didn't, as a matter of fact. I don't think I ever met her, either. Did I? No. Who knows? Who cares? She's she upwardly mobile. She's upwardly mobile. She's got a resume that's going to be incredible. I'm sorry, I interrupted you, and you were telling us about having seen the movie, but I think we'll do the commercial break first, and then, while I'm stealing your lighter. One thing we ought to tell Glenn is, if we're going to have guests on the show, let's make sure that there are people who bring lighters. Every new industry. What were you just saying about Hallandale? I said nothing about Hallandale. That fine city by the bay. Bill Cosford is here. We're going to be joined later by Hallandale Mayor Sonny Rosenberg. But uh, you were starting to talk about the Mass Appeal with Jack Lemmon, which is another one of those movies that I liked, and you probably didn't because you have a bias against Jack Lemmon to begin with. Well, I do have a bias against Jack Lemmon. He's, a, he's whiny and creepy, and he's played the same part over and over and over again. He can't help himself. Kind he's, he's of like, like Ron Sachs. He's, um, <laughs> I see you're going to get one of, the, one of those brickbats if he ever gets back. Um, I don't think his, he will. No, no okay. I don't think after he's gone on that show, I don't, think, I don't well, think he's moving in an upward direction. He's not upwardly mobile. He's downwardly mobile. We prefer Rapidly. to think of him as a distinctive new voice. Yeah. Radio. Okay. Now, what were you saying about Jack Lemmon? But the guy, he's like Jimmy Stewart, only, only this, like a mouse in his throat or something. He just, he can't. <laughs> He can't say things normally. All he can do is infuriate you. He's ordinarily now in Missing, he was different. In Missing, he just played the part of a father whose yeah. kid was missing. Great. The guy can really act. And in this, he plays the part of this priest uh, who's been jiving his congregation because he wants them to like him all yeah. this time. It's a hell of a performance. It really was. Really? Yeah. Boy, no, I enjoyed staggering. I enjoyed the movie thoroughly. I had I racked it up and because uh, it's been a busy week. And I'd expected, okay, I'll do a half an hour of this to see where it's going. And then um, I did an hour of it, and I thought, okay, you know, if I've done an hour of it, then I'll be able to go in and say, Neil, I've seen half of it, and that will produce some humor. But in fact, I, I couldn't turn it off. So I watched the whole, it's, I think it's more than two hours long, too. Mm -hmm. It's not a short movie. Did not get good reviews when it came out. Why not? I think because a lot of uh, movies that are based on plays often get mediocre reviews because most of New York critics see all the plays. And once they've seen the play... Um, they kind of have a way they want it to come to the movies, and it's never that way. It's always somebody else's way. So they invariably get bad reviews. And I, not having seen the play, I thought the movie was fine. It was interesting. And it did not go in the direction you thought it was going to. I don't think that would be a big threat to the Catholic Church. I mean, if they're going Even to... Even though we kept saying all through the movie about if you want to be a priest, you've got to lie. Well, yeah, that's, that's a problem. There was an but... awful lot of talk about priests. You know, In fact, the best line in the movie, what's the uh, fat guy who plays the Monsignor? He's a great Durning. actor. Charles Durning. Yeah, Charles Durning. And he said, uh, you know, he said, it's bad, not bad enough that we have enough priests who are in the closet. He said, now we've got one who's been in, now he's out, and now he wants to go back in again. or some, some, I forget exactly what the line was, but it was a great line. And, of course, bearing out what I've said all along is that anybody who meets a straight priest is, you know, obviously fantasizing. But uh, Well, far be it for me to comment on that. Of course. I'm not, no, I'm, I'm not trying to get you involved in that conversation. Well, I'm not Catholic. See, I'm, uh, I'm non-evangelical Protestant, which, me, which is the easiest thing to be in the world. I mean, all you do is... That's be, like almost being neuter. Well, you go nothing. on Sunday and you kind of nod off and then you come home. Yeah. Right? 
and, and there aren't any other like there's no other these duties that you have to do. You don't have to worry. You about can't say that word on things. the air anymore, please. Like, duties? No, no. no this uh, my pronunciation. In is fact, bad. the last time duties. you were here, you were the one. You were the one last time talking about the two guys named Dick at the Miami Herald. There are probably, I'm not even going to repeat what yeah, you said. Probably more this, than two men named Dick at the Miami yeah. Herald. There are there are maybe dozens or even a hundred. Hmm. Because our newspaper employs a great many people, and yeah. Richard is a common. So you can quote Cosford as saying that there are a lot of dicks who work at the Miami Herald. <laughs> well, is, isn't that what you just said? I'm, I'm sure that's true. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's true. And I'm sure that James McKinney is probably monitoring right now and would be very upset and want to probably misinterpret what you said. Well, in that case, Innuendo. He, he will uh, have observed that sometime in the last week, a number of people have said frigate on the air yeah. all over these United States. And I wonder, you know, if, if there's going to be any fallout on that. You know, well, that's why I haven't touched that story, because I don't think you can say that. You can't say frigate? No. I've done it now twice. You have to just stick with the name, real, the start. No problems here. Any, well, I don't, I don't want to dump Mass Appeal. Now you got me thinking about the FCC thing again. But um, no, I, Mass Appeal was a better movie than I'd given it credit for. I think it's a solid three-star good movie. I think anybody who has a chance to see it ought to see it. So in other words, it wasn't like Jinx. It wasn't a movie that only Neil Rogers liked no. and nobody else in the world liked. It was not an example of the movie for which you are the sole fan. Even the, the I've people, watched it again since you were here last time. What, I came Jinx across or Mass it, yeah. Appeal? Jinx. Jinx. Now, see, even people Funny involved movie. in Jinx Funny disavowed movie. it. Even people on the crew won't admit that they did it. See, this is the problem with guys like you, is that you, you're kind of like the FCC. In your own mind, you've set yourself up kind of like judge and jury, and you decide what is good and what is not good. In other That's words, you don't true. give an opinion. You don't just write and say, hey, in my opinion, this is great, and this was fantastic, or it was garbage, which is usually what you write, that it was garbage. But you write it as fact, as yes. if you are the barometer. You're the judge and, and the jury, and you decide what's good. And all movie critics do that. Yes, they do. Well, no, the some of the worst ones will say, now I think, now I teach a course at this University of Miami, and that's the first, our first lesson that we have to repeat over and over again. Is we never say, I think, or in my opinion. No, or it is. You state it as fact. It is. Great this movie. This is a lousy movie. Oh, this is a great movie. Yeah. Well, and the only one that doesn't do that, of course, is our own Don Stotter. I thought I'd give Don a plug because he's listening now, getting very upset because you're on the show, and which is his problem. Is is Don out there agitated? Oh, Don is always when you're on the show, he goes nuts. He can't handle it. I saw Don. He in just New York. has a nervous breakdown. Don was but there. See, for, he does uh, with these little shades of the lights, like a yellow and amber and puce and whatever, yeah. walk, which is a very, uh, which is a way of waffling, I guess, and not making a definitive statement. Well, I, my favorite Don Stoddard story, tellable on the air, that is, is <laughs> the time he was on and was and was ripping us for giving stars. He said, I don't give those little stars, you know, the one star, two star, three star. Well, no, in fact, he gives red light, green light, yellow light. Um, but there, there are a few of us who like giving out those little designations. That's just, th th those are gimmicks. Those are designed for people who we assume don't read. But, the, but yes, when we give our opinion, we don't say, well, I think, and any more than you do. When you come on to call oh, someone a subhuman douchebag, you don't, you don't no, this say, program in my opinion. Wrong. Wrong. I've always said that this program is a program of opinions. They pay me to come on here and give my opinion. Well, and that's what I'm paid to do, too. But I take it as a, I mean, I would make jokes about this, but the serious truth is we take it as a given that people understand in a review you're just getting one opinion. I would never want anyone to acts conclusively on one of my reviews, conclusively enough to make a difference in the box office, for instance. I mean, you read the review and you make up your own mind. You don't, that's why I, I never say don't go. Or Siskel and Ebert periodically will, they'll come across a film and say this should be burned. You know, and, and, and they're being cute. But there are a lot of people dumb. who think that they should be burned. They, well, well, Roger would make quite a bonfire. <laughs> that man would, he would go up like a human torch. No question about it. He is, 
packing some poundage there. Yeah. Uh, and he, he makes you, as a matter of fact, look quite smart. Look like Mickey Mouse. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but the Raj gets good press. He was in uh, he was in USA Today the other day commenting on video discs or something. They did a big feature, and here's this man mountain in front of his disc player, and the guy makes about a million dollars a year. Of course, easy for him. You know, he's Unbelievable. Had, See, heard this about these this ties in with my first hour. This is what America has degenerated into. Vanna White and Siskel and Ebert, or Bear or however we pronounce his name this week. I this, say Ebert. This is what we've become, is entertainment tonight. I predicted that a long time ago. In fact, I now predict that one night you'll turn on the network news, and it'll be just like in the movie Network. Instead of having a regular newscast, it'll be just like Entertainment Tonight. And there'll be a fortune teller, and it'll be, you know, Vox Popular, no, and all I, the I stuff you saw in the movie Network. We're already seeing the beginnings of it. Uh, you uh, note that uh, ABC Nightly News has Person of the Week once a week. Now, this is one of the dumbest features I've ever come across. Person of the Week is, uh, and, you know, they begin promoting it on Wednesday. They'll say, and coming up at the end of the week, our Person of the Week. Well, who gives a... Uh, a Mark Fowler or whatever, who a, you know, who ABC thinks is person of the week, and it and they, it's never the person who may have done the most interesting thing or or contributed something. It's always the most notorious person, or you know, I mean, Adolf Hitler could have been person of the yeah. week. Uh, it's just a ridiculous thing, and it's it's a complete gimmick designed to hype. You know, be sure to tune in and that kind of thing. It's absurd. And the and I was reading the other day that. Rune Arledge is all upset because ABC is moving 2020 to a time slot where he's afraid the show may go off the air, which strikes me as the first single movement toward good taste that ABC has done in years, because if we can just get 2020 off the air, we're up if I have to watch Barbara Walters treated as a real news person one yeah, more is time... Is that incredible? I, I, you know, my skin wants to crawl off when I see that. President Wagan today said, you know, and here she is writing letters, you know, from just, Iran to the president, and she can't even pr pronounce it. You know, I mean, th this is what a joke. You know, our lives have been reduced to such banality that it's unbelievable. It's incredible. And, and the, the, the most frightening part of it is, is that most people are too stupid to understand that it's happening. And even if they do understand it's happening, they don't seem to care. No, well, we in the news business have a problem. I mean, it's a big problem. Of all the little problems we think we have, the, the biggest one is that people's conception of the news <clears throat> continues to change. It continues to get softer. And uh, we have to follow, or at least we think we have to follow. Um, the New York Times is about the only institution I can think of that seems able to resist the press. I just happen to have this morning's right here. And yet, right to my door in its blue container. And it's blue container. They yes. do. They do deliver. It. Unfortunately, the national edition of the Times is a big disappointment compared to the the metro edition in New York. But there's nothing you can Can't do about have everything. That. But even the Times uh, ten years ago did launch those soft sections that for a while had everybody saying, "Oh, the Times has gone soft." They did launch, uh, you know, the home section, the science section, and all the rest. And some of those sections are really pretty creepy. If you look at the home and living sections, uh, you discover the Times gives a tremendous news hole to telling people who make more than uh, most people in this building combined um, how to throw parties on the Upper East Side and uh, how to pick uh, you know the proper maid and this kind of thing. It's just, it isn't news at all. It's d aimed at a specific demographic, and the demographic is very, very narrow, but apparently very rich. Anyway, yeah, but if you well, we have a problem out, with If that. you take it out of context by itself, that's one thing. But you have to judge a newspaper by looking at the entire newspaper. For example, if you take just the editorial page of the Miami Herald, there would be a lot of people who would gauge it as being even a lot lower than some of us already do. Well, of course, this is another problem we have. One of the things I uh, <clears throat> was listening to one of your um, temperate discussions, tirades, last week on the Herald, and it occurred to me that to the extent that you're mad at the editorial page, 
you know, telling people to cancel their subscriptions to the Herald is kind of like me saying, I'm tired of Taffy McCallum, so don't anybody listen to WYNZ ever. Uh, you don't have to agree with the editorial page. As it happens, a lot of the time, I don't, as I think you know. The editorial page. Yeah, like the editorial on the FCC. They march to their own. Which you said, which you had a great line. That was your highest moment in history. Well, that to me was a dismaying editorial. When you said, in one of the saddest sentences I have ever read in this newspaper, and then it went on, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but they had said that the FCC ruling perhaps can help us better determine good taste. And this is the same newspaper that a few days later ran out and sent your friends Tom Fiedler and Jim uh, McGee and all these other creeps, uh, you know, hiding in the bushes in trench coats, uh, casing out Gary Hart's townhouse, and they're talking about determining good taste. Well, there's a fundamental contradiction there to begin with. The editorial page thinks it can concern itself with good taste. News reporters cannot concern themselves with good taste. You can't. I mean, the tradition of news reporting, it's only in the last 10 or 15 years that uh, this... Um, not quite myth that the reporter who goes to a death scene and, you know, steals the picture out of the victim's house so they can have a picture for the paper. That kind of thing used to happen. Newspapers, I mean, newspaper reporters don't, if they concern themselves over much with good taste, they'll never report anything. Um, but the editorial page is a whole different story. They don't report news. They report opinions. They're like movie critics, only they have more serious tasks. But uh, on that particular editorial, <clears throat> I can only assume that they, they just missed Completely, they evidently missed because they're the only. That's the only publication of any of any note in the country that supported the FCC ruling. Even Chattanooga Times, I mean, newspapers in Neanderthal places, came out with lead editorials supporting my position and taking the FCC to task. Well, I mean, the lesson here is that even the most ardent defenders of the First Amendment will come up against it all the time. The speech we need to protect is not the popular speech. No one needs to to have their right to agree with the mayor of the city of Miami or to yell, go Dolphins, protected. That's not the problem. The problem is to protect speech that people hate. I mean, that's why there's an amendment. There wouldn't need to be an amendment if everybody said, yeah, we, we all love George Washington, he's great, then why would you write in a specific thing saying, and by the way, you get to say you hate George Washington. Well, you do. You get to do that. But it's easy to lose sight of that because sometimes people say things that are really egregiously stupid. Even Howard Stern has said such things. But... He gets to do it, right? Are you one of those people who listens to Howard Stern tapes? Because there's like an epidemic. I even heard the tape. And I, mu I must confess this to you. People are bringing me Howard Stern tapes all the time, and I don't listen to them anymore because I do find a guy funny. But after you hear him a few times, there's no need to listen to him anymore because he does the same thing every morning. Yeah, well, he's not always on, but I, I don't, I've never heard the tapes. But no, but even on his best days... And I, I have some tapes that are see, some of his best days. I'm enough of a clod so that I, I really enjoy it. When I go to the Northeast, matter of fact, when he moved to an early morning shift, it really threw off my balance because I usually spend a couple weeks in the Jersey Shore, and that's I just go out, put my beach chair out there, put it, launch a kite up in the air, grab a beer, and put on Howard in the afternoon. That would kill four hours right there. I mean, Howard would mesmerize me yeah. because the man is just disgusting. I don't think you could pick him up there now. No, I don't, not on the FM. Mm -mm. No. Although no. I might get it from Philadelphia, which is possible, because that's only like 60 miles away. But Howard is uh, is disgusting and hence intriguing. Uh, it's, you don't usually hear that kind of thing on radio. Of course, the FCC misses the obvious point, which is that if there's a profusion of Howards, the novelty will wear off, and I don't, and people will be no big exactly. deal anymore. But this whole, the, the most disgusting part of this business, from their perspective, is again laying it on the children, and this uh -huh. this really gets to you if you're a grown-up in this society you look around you see the number of times the number of ways people want to tell you 
what you can do because otherwise the children will be affected. This is absurd. This is not a children's world. It's an adult world. And uh, the purpose of adults and uh, parents is to protect children, the purpose of parents specifically. But it's, it's not to reshape the world and, uh, gee, it would be neat if this could be a lollipop world. Uh, but it obviously isn't going to be. And this idea that in order to make sure no kid ever hears anything that somebody thinks is in bad taste, we should not have anything on the air that somebody thinks is in bad taste. is just absurd. We yeah, should maybe we should pass taste. a law making it illegal for children to listen to radio. No, we could start with that. That's a better and law. And then than... make it illegal for them to watch television. Just think of what a service we would do to our kids if we made it illegal for them to watch television till they're 18. Because it certainly is lethal as booze. We make them wait till they're 21 to drink booze. We might make them wait forever to watch television for that yeah. matter. Be doing a tremendous course, public service. Tom Jitcha would be out of a job, and Steve. I heard somebody calling about Tom Jitcha the other day. And Jit Steve Sonsky would be out of a job. Jitka. Then. Was it Jitka? Yeah. They just can't get his name right. By the way, speaking of Jitka, um, I haven't noticed because I don't get the Miami News where I live. I don't think anybody can buy the Miami News anymore. But have they been? Uh, they didn't send anybody here Saturday on so far, did they? On the First Amendment. Well, Jitka's been in the paper, but. Uh... I haven't seen anything about that. Yeah, I guess this campaign. isn't this isn't important enough. Twenty four before noon at WINZ, Bill Cosford is here from the uh, prestigious Miami Herald, and uh, we're going to come back. You'll find it in the yellow boxes all over town. We'll come back after this. Who's that? Tom Fiedler was on Nightline on the Viewpoint segment. Yeah, yeah. he's just yeah. a beady eyed little creep. He's not beady eyed. He is beady. Oh come on! Are no, you he's serious? Got, he's got with those, those horn-rimmed glasses. Those horn -rimmed, he makes yeah. Steve Paget look like but, um, <laughs> well, Sylvester Stallone. But now, see, if we had Steve Paget, we wouldn't be in the trouble we're in. Right? I voted for Paget. I voted for Paget as well. As well. By the way, you're uh, in on history here now. I wouldn't read that this is a member. Do you want to read this? No, you can, you can read that, but I was going to say that uh, ever since I read in the paper and then heard your follow-up that there was a rumor this station was going to be purchased, that I myself was on stakeout. And um, yeah, I, and I, I have reason to believe that there will be no sale of this radio. <laughs> we just have a memo, and of course we don't read memoranda on the air. But I guess I can read the you know I guess I can read the two paragraphs because our programming department just gave me permission. I want to make sure that I cloak this you know wrap it around in the flag, and it says this is from our general manager, so it must be true. Just like if it's in a herald, it must be true. I have just been informed by Bob Gilbertson, Executive Vice President of Guy Gannett Broadcasting Services, that all negotiations for the sale of WINZ and WZTA have been stopped. Mrs. Jean Gannett Hawley, Chairman of the Board, has said that the stations are not for sale to anyone, and her confidence in the future success of WINZ and WZTA has never been greater. End of quote. End of memorandum which we're is, going to be shredding during the news is, break. Is this the woman that some people refer to as Mama? I sure don't refer to her as that. I refer to her as a very nice lady who listens to this show and has only said complimentary things about it. She loves this show. She does. She listens all the time. Huh? I don't know. She doesn't live in Hallandale, does she? Boca. <clears throat> Mama, I've heard she's called. Who told you that? I don't know. It's the, it sounds I like told a disparaging you, remark to me. I, I did. I have done my own investigative work on this, and I, I have been on stage. Another one of those ugly rumors spawned by those yellow journalists at the Miami Herald in their yellow trench coats. Now, the fact that we have yellow boxes, boxes. for the sale of our papers should not be allowed to impugn our larger reputation. And the reason I read this on the air is because I think that, you know, in light of the fact that these rumors have gone public, which is why I discussed it on the air yesterday, it would be nice, you know, kind of reassuring 
to the listeners and to our sponsors and to the people who work here in the building that uh, they don't have to go out looking for a job tomorrow. It is. Um, Next week, that's another story. It's a terrible thing working for it's radio It's a bad stations. business. It really is a bad business that way. People, you just get fired and you just, a new management comes in and they will always say, we plan no changes. Yeah. That will always be the first As soon quote. as they say that, boy, you run out and look for a job. The way that you know that there are going to be unbelievable changes is when they say we plan no changes. Because that is the code word for it. That's okay, now let's see a show on the phone here of all those little old ladies who are disappointed because it means that I'm not going anywhere for almost two years. Now let's see all the people in the audience who are upset. Let's see a show on the phones over the fact that I'm not leaving. The phones are... There's one, Dark. two, three, three, four, five, Those six. Are <laughs> Those are all people who wish you'd leave. Right? Seven. That wasn't really that quick, was it? No, that wasn't too good. Very mediocre response. Of course, those people take them a long time to get to the phone. And these are all people who wish you'd leave now. They were crawling on their Wait, hands and knees to the phone. Now, i got to ask you, why are they listening? If yeah, they wish that's an interesting I point, heard, isn't it? There was a woman calling the other day who said... I'm, I'm, you asked her, well, why are you listening? Because she wanted you off the air, and she said, because you're a jerk, mm -hmm. which is a great rationale. Oh, yeah. I'm told that very often. <laughs> and they like jerks. Well, of course they like jerks. And as a matter of fact, you, uh, I wonder what the percentage And I'll even of, admit um, to being a jerk. How do you like that? See, it takes their thunder away. See, I won't go that far. I oh, would, yeah. I would not admit to being a jerk. Well, you are. Well, well thank you, Neil. <laughs> I, I, I didn't want to speak up for myself. I didn't, you know. I, if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for you. Okay, now getting back to colorization of movies, which is where we were going next, because I really enjoyed your uh, column on Sunday. I almost feel like I'm tinkling today, which I just don't do on this show. Well, be careful. There's a lot but of you tinkled on me so here. much in that column that I guess uh, it's long overdue. Boy, those days are over. The word went out through all out. Yeah, I'm sure. All Night Ritter. Is no there more an executive tinkling? memo out? No, no more, more tinkling on Rogers? That's probably why Linda only got two short paragraphs about so far. No, actually, you'd think there would be one, but um, no. that there isn't. Even my listings are getting in the Herald now, because we know the Herald doesn't discriminate against those people who take... Are they upset? Are they angry at me? Now, Linda says no. I don't hear anybody angry at you. Know, I, I can't imagine that there aren't some people who are upset. I mean, if you work for a newspaper and... and like Dick Capen. <clears throat> well, and, and the most powerful radio voice in town is saying, cancel your newspaper, you know some people are going to do that. And they did get a few that. cancellations. Well, they got several hundred, which is pretty unusual. Several hundred? Yeah. Really? Well, I mean, that's that's what they're saying. Uh, Which means it could have been several thousand. Well, I don't, I don't know anyone's circulation, so I don't know if they're uh, tempted to uh, jive. But uh, no, I, well, I they're admitting to several hundred. That's a pretty good number, isn't it? Circulation figures are figures that we have to stand behind legally. You know, several times a year. So if they say several hundred, I'd buy several hundred. And that, well, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, there are people who really agree with you, and you made your case. I'm not. I wasn't here during the height of this. I was on a um, an Amtrak uh, train from Los Angeles to Chicago. Um, which is how I came back. I went to L.A. on business, and I came back by train, a little bedroom and everything. I was, you know, on the lap of luxury when this is all going on. I got on the train, heard a radio broadcast in the cab that the Herald had broken some story about Gary Hart, but then I'm on the train, and all I had was USA Today for the next two days. So all I had was what, what USA Today's first day coverage is when I was a little... A bunch of those little did you have some Crayolas stories. with you so you could fill in the blank and spaces? I, I did color in some parts, right? I, <laughs> and then I, I did cutouts on the weather map in the back, and that was fun. It, it was just fun making Florida green and Maine red. Yeah, and it changed the things around. But uh, so I didn't know what was going on, and I my mom was the first one in New Jersey to tell me there's some radio host who is leading a campaign against Herald Circulation. You know uh, how she found out in New Jersey? I don't know. Maybe you called her. But she found out in New Jersey? Oh, she saw it on CNN. I think, well, 
Uh, it made CNN. Or, or it may actually have been picked up and reported on New York radio that there was a host after the Herald. But well, it made the wire services, too. What, uh, well, and that, that, that's how. What I didn't know at the time was what it specifically was you were objecting to, the editorial stance of the Herald, which is one thing, or the actual Gary Hart story, which is another altogether. The two don't have anything to do with one another. I wasn't sure which it was that you were most yeah. schemed about. And now you know. Well, which is it? Oh, you don't know? No, I still don't. No, know. this had to do with the Gary Hart thing. This is it had all to do Gary with Hart. You don't like Absolutely. the story, in other words. No, it's not a question of whether I like the story. It's a question of whether it's a legitimate story, whether it's really the purview of reporters from a newspaper to follow politicians around, candidates around, and, you know, snoop on their personal lives. I don't believe it is. If somebody had given a tip to the Herald that the guy was going to take graft, he was going to take a bribe, then, of course, it's a legitimate story. So then you wouldn't mind the stakeout. Exactly. So in other words, would you mind the but stakeout? But to be staking somebody out and watching who he's shacking up with, allegedly, and make all this innuendo and, and have giant gaping holes in the story and be so desperate to rush to get it, you know, to beat the deadline to get into the newspaper uh, was very irresponsible journalism. And I think that's the consensus. In fact, all of the polls now show that at least two-thirds, some of the polls, three-quarters of the people, think that the Herald did a lousy job, that it was not good journalism, well, and it wasn't a, anybody's business. It's not a good-sounding story. That was my first reaction, too. I mean, I, first of all, I was a Gary Hart man. Well, I yeah. wasn't, so I can't be accused of attacking the Herald because I like Gary Hart, because I think the guy's a vacuous fool. See, I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't think He's a that. zero. I didn't think that, but the one thing I didn't expect that he would turn out to be was a dissembler and, uh, and, a, and a man so essentially corrupt in one way that he, was, he would be lying to his own campaign staff about what he was up to. But, you know, I didn't know that until I get back. When I'm first thinking about the story, it, it's not a good-sounding story. It's like any other uh, surreptitious thing you're going to pick up, like when cops wiretap and that kind of thing. It just, you know, kind of makes you feel uneasy. But in, in this country, as long as politicians are going to drag their, their families around and present themselves as family people... Um, I think they're going to get looked at, and I think they ought to be, if for no other reason. What do you mean reason, get looked at? Well, their private parts. Next thing, we, do we have to know how big it is? The problem here that neither the Herald nor any other press institution has been able to fully get across to people is that this was not new news about Gary no. Hart. This way, Gary Hart was the same as Jack Kennedy up to a point, and that everybody, yeah, he fooled but around. But why is it? You know, CNN did a great piece. And they show they're going all the way back to George Washington and Jefferson and Franklin and all the way through Warren Harding, uh, Eisenhower, Kennedy, you name it. We've had a lot of presidents and candidates who have been womanizers. Anyway, right. I mean, as puritanical as we were back then, how in the world can it be major news now and worthy of stakeouts and all kinds of wild rumor and innuendo when it wasn't worth that 200 years ago? No, then for that you got to ask some sociological questions because it turned out it was major news and people went nuts over it. And they jumped up and down. The guy dropped out of the race because he didn't think he was going to get asked any other question but that for the rest yeah, of the Yeah, but again, it, it goes to show you what happens when the press is irresponsible. Now, I'm certainly not going to disagree with their right to print it, because, you know, I can't be a hypocrite. On the one hand, I'm arguing for our First Amendment rights to speak, and I'm not going to, you know, argue against uh, the right of a free press, but it, it, it is a question of what's responsible journalism, and I don't think that that was. Well, what, what yeah, I think you're objecting to more than anything else is the puritanical aspects of it. In other words, this is a sex thing, and we don't just leave sex alone. The difficulty is, this is what I mean by things that we haven't gotten a good job of getting across to people, is that Gary Hart was notorious for this, and he also had become arrogant enough so that he was denying it in all these absurd ways. Well, you have a real interesting situation here. Reporters throughout Washington who don't, who don't want to come out with uh, rumor and speculation know the guy is um, fooling around. Uh, he's dipping the wick, whatever. And we know that nobody at the Herald would do that. And uh, Well, we know, of course, that probably a handful of people at that newspaper have fallen from grace in their lives. <laughs> but 
we know this, and, but you're not going to go and print that because it's just kind of smarmy. But then, why not? The candidate. Let's read about the people at the Herald who've fallen from grace. Well, but see, the people from the Herald aren't running for the highest office. What difference does it make? They're controlling one of the most powerful institutions in the state, and indeed in the country. Well, They're I'd controlling to, the monopoly in the newspaper business, I'd the be press glad to come in Dade clean County. About, about my own peccadilloes, but really, I'm not, I'm not sure that would put anybody's uh, well, mind on with that today. I don't want to do that. It'll sound just like Jack Sturdy yesterday. Yes. Well, I'm not going to dish I, I myself. I can't get that out of my mind because I just uh, but, I, I can't then, begin to tell you. I think the the problem the lowest here, ebb in the history of this industry yesterday. The, the problem became um, at first. Remember, remember, people were saying, "How could Hart be so stupid?" You know, he's wanting. He's very legitimate question. Very good question. And he's, and he's how calling, could he be such a moron? Well. And, and, you know, he's calling yeah, Donna Rice from the campaign trail. He, but he isn't stupid. That's the thing. And this is where the story, I think, became of great interest to reporters who hadn't laid the groundwork because uh, they feel it's inside Washington, inside the Beltway stuff. But, in fact, Hart's not stupid. He's arrogant. And that is a different and story. Stupid. Well, in this case, he apparently thought he could get away with anything. Um, and the idea that on the very day his big Sunday Times profile appears and he tells people, hey, go ahead, follow me, that he's got the assignation is just unbelievable. That's what I think made it a legitimate story. I feel sorry for um, for him that he had people lurking outside his house, and I feel sorry for the lurkers. But I can tell you this, that the people we sent to lurk were the kind of newsmen you'd want them to be. These are not, you know, Fiedler. Oh, yeah. Now, Fiedler and McGee and Jim Savage are not, you know, these, Americans. these aren't twerps out to make their big story. You're wrong. Nor Tom are Peter they people. A twerp. I've had him on the show many times. He's twerp is the twerp. definitive word. Nor That's, are they... I couldn't have come up with a better term myself. Tom Fiedler. But you had a very a civil little discourse twerp. with him that day. Many times. He's been on the show several times. And I don't dislike him personally, but professionally, he's a twerp. In no, fact, I, personally, he may be a twerp. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, whether or not you like his column, I guess is. You no, know, that, I'm not talking forever. about his column at all. I'm talking about him as a reporter. But he's it, a twerp. These are. It's not just that you came well, up with a term. I think we ought to give you credit but for these it. Are, a major these, twerp. But these aren't people out looking. Okay, for the let's big see story. on the phone. No. If there are people in the oh, audience no, no. who think that Tom Fiedler is a twerp, well, let's just see a show on the phone. Okay, let's see if this is as quick as the response. Now you we got did this once with before a live. Come on, crowd. let's see some people on this telephone. People who think that Tom Fiedler is a major twerp. Six lines lit already. Seven within like no, ten seconds. Like the I mean, thing. the, the Folks, previous I can promise people you, who want me off the air aren't even in a contest. No with this lines lit. Now, see, you could ask. There are no people, lines lit. There are, there are no lines lit. About every other second, there's no lines lit. You yeah, could when ask said, when people, in, in the intervals in between the flashes. You could ask people to call in. How many lines are lit? If you ask, be honest. Is, uh, they're, they're all lit, lit yeah. now. But the point is, if you ask people to hold their breath until they turn purple and then to call you and say they oh, were doing it, they would on. do it. Um, and none of these people Get know Speedler. You have to take it's my word twerp. for it. He certainly uh, is not looking for his first big scoop. Uh, nor does he no. have an inordinate no. interest He's in the sexual life. a great journalist interested in the future of our republic. And uh, very concerned about uh, I think probably national that, security. I think that's true. Yeah. I think it is, because what, what ultimately was going on, what has been going on here is you've got a press corps in Washington and throughout the country that's had Reagan now for six years going on seven and hasn't been able to do anything about it, even though the man is egregiously ignorant. Uh, he's, many of us feel he's sending the country right into the toilet, but we have not been able to get at him. In any way, because there's, there are real limits to what you can do with straight reporting. A lot of people who think that Reagan should have had the tidy bull man as vice president, because if he was going to push the country into the toilet, at least have an advisor who knows what you're Following supposed to do when to you get in there. Right. Okay, it's six minutes before noon at WINZ. The cryptic Bill Cosford, who came up with a great a term for Tom Fiedler today, will want you to put that in your memory bank. Twerp.
Bill Cosford is with us till 2, and we'll come right back. Now, we don't have time for any disclaimers about uh, the, I mean, you said it, issue the audience heard important. it, it's out, and that's, uh, that's it. You know, You've taken me out of context. No, today. I haven't. The audience I specifically heard it. They can judge for themselves. They heard you call Tom Fiedler a twerp. Now Did I anybody see... in the audience hear it? You all heard it. Cosby, I know. Kyle heard it. Mike <laughs> Wolf heard it. All of our news people heard it. I know Tom can't hear me because he's in Washington, no doubt preparing you a follow-up. He said he's a twerp. Uh, and I agreed with I you. I'm trying to be agreeable to that, Bill. And then, now, the thing is, Tom is actually a friend of yours. You've had him on your I show like a Tom. number of he's times. I like Tom. probably uh, will never come back and on the show again. is an he's example sensitive. of you turning... He's a sensitive twerp. ...turning on your own pals. And the way you turn on Glenn Hill is... You, you don't know, turn on him. Just is we tell it like it is. Industry. That's all. We tell it like it is. Yeah, you're even knocking Linda Thornton this morning. And, of course, she has done yeoman work in reporting on radio. Live. And when she's done yeoman work, I've thanked her for it, and I uh, somebody called and wanted to attack her last week, and I came to her defense. But when I she puts that. in a stinky little two paragraphs about a major issue, I feel, you know, but I did do a disclaimer, didn't I? Didn't I say that probably the people at the Herald are more concerned about the story on OCN and the Spanish-language station? Well, because she has that. told me off the air that she is under duress from the powers that be to do more on Spanish-language radio. So the pandering that goes on at your newspaper continues unabated. Well, we could get into that. On that, that note, we're at the end of the hour, but when oh, we, we come back next hour, now? we'll get into that. This is it. The twerp issue is at over. The end of this hour. You can bring it up again next hour. It's a free speech radio. Okay. And we'll talk about colorization and Woody Allen, a lot of those other uh, marginal talents. Mike Wolf is here with local and area news headlines, world news from CBS at noon, and we'll come back with the ubiquitous Bill Cosford at 12:06. Alabrera's traffic report. I mean, as far as, like, you know, freedom of speech and everybody getting to say and do and read what they want to in the newspapers. That's all they had in the New York Times. Great, great. Yeah. So I read that, that $200 cash that I gave you to give him. Did you pass it on to him? Or? Dave. She told us she got that on Biscayne Boulevard. Yeah. <laughs> Why and nobody here believed it. Why do they sound like they're sleeping? What are you, are you awake? I'm in the bathroom. I'm sitting on the john talking to you. And I'm uh, in the other room. <laughs> Well, I've heard a laid back, but you're going to fall right. over. <laughs> or in. <laughs> I'm ready to move out here. Keith is here because he's part of the wedding troupe. I'm here looking for a job. Hey, you can join me in the L.A. contingency. You know, We're in exile. The shuttle. Yeah. It's beautiful out here. The radio is great. Uh, the newspapers are great. And like uh, Neil's always saying, it's nice to be in a city where you can go out at 3 in the morning and eat Japanese food or Mexican food. Yeah. Listen, I hope you guys got a little extra room there where you are because Alice Rantel and Joe Johnson eloped last night <laughs> and ran off, and the rumor is they're on their way to L.A. At a sushi restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, is that going to be another wedding going on out here? Exactly. After West they LA. throw the rice, they're going to eat it. <laughs> okay, well, listen, it's great hearing from you, but as all good things must... <laughs> I'd rather hear that guy cursing at us again. Yeah. Okay, thanks a lot for uh, keeping us in your hearts and minds. Okay. Send money. Boy, I hope that wasn't they an did, audition. Was that incredible? Send more. Boy, let's talk with a catatonic, not yeah. lethargic. Terminal. Terminal. Okay, I think that's where they were calling from. Was from it bus the terminal? terminal. <laughs> no, from, from the train terminal in Hialeah. Yeah. Okay, well, listen, that's going to kill this hour. We're coming back, and uh, the boy, food is building to a crescendo. Boy, is it incredible? Yeah. It's unbelievable. And uh, who's in there? Is that Jeff Bray trying to close the door? Or who is that with the headlines? Yeah, there he is. Yes, Jeff. And the uh, CBS has the uh, boring news at noon. And then we'll come back at 12.06 as we continue to exercise free speech on WINZ. Okay, Bill Cosford is here. And uh, while he's finishing his lunch, let me just uh, mention, somebody sent me this. It's a great, great piece from the Sunday News Sun Sentinel in Fort Lauderdale, Joan Christie. Or John Christie. Well, we just made John into Joan. Instant operation. A lexicon of Lane Looney's 
and it's about driving in South Florida. And the first one is the cigar smoker, which I mentioned first because I'm sitting here with a cigar. Vehicle, Lincoln Continental, destination, the country club, bumper sticker, I got mine. Habits, retired now, the cigar smoker drives like he ran his plumbing supply business in Bayonne, oblivious to everyone around him. He takes corners wide and slow, the long nose of the Lincoln preceding him like the baton-sized stogie clamped between his teeth. He is the master of double parking, parking in two spaces, and the rolling stop always wears a hat. Now we have the condo commando. Vehicle, generic sedan, white. Destination, early bird dinner. Bumper sticker, I break for bingo. And habits, the commando's car is mysteriously always full. Three men, three women. The men are in pastels, the women freshly coiffed in iron beehives. If a woman is driving, she's hunched forward and peering through the steering wheel. For male driving habits, see the cigar smoker. For either sex, maximum speed, 40 miles an hour. Now, that was in a Sun Sentinel, by the way, not in the Herald. That was about good. Lane Looney's, though, typical of the way journalism works in this community. Some time ago, the Herald launched a feature, launched a feature called the Lane Ranger, with oh, which yeah. I'm sure you're familiar. Of course. Uh, in which a, a nominally uh, anonymous member of the staff reports on road conditions and mm -hmm. does so in a flip and uh, entertaining style, not unlike the style of this show. And, of course, this turns out to be a big success. So right away, what do we got in Broward at the Sunset? Oh, Lane Looney's. Now, we have the Lane Ranger. I guess there's the Lane Granger. Yeah. Or the, well, know. we know that there's no imitation that goes on in this market, No, right? none of that. Mm -mm. No. But now, to lay the twerp issue to rest, I noticed you once didn't uh, all, pursue that at all. Is it possible that you're going to be appearing on a certain show in town that you don't want to mention? Because I noticed you didn't follow up on that when we no, talked about No, no, I have no other, uh, no other uh, radio obligations scheduled oh, okay. far into the future. My well, does that mean that you've been canceled? <laughs> my contract you've been preempted by Jack Sturdy? Now, the Herald insists that I come on only this show. Yeah. Because their plans to buy uh, the station are <laughs> now going ahead. And they want you know, to show that there's a gradual erosion of the, you know. Could, could we turn this place on its ear? Could be a lot of fun. Night Ritter newspapers, they just bought. Well, first of all, it's illegal. They can't buy the radio it's too station, bad. okay? It's too bad. That, there's an FCC regulation for it. Do you think that if the Herald bought this newspaper, I'd still be on the air? Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> because we're no fools either. With those numbers, you would be. Yeah, sure. Uh, now well, I'm telling you, you're just full of little cuties the, today. Huh? First he well, calls Tom Fiedler a twerp, and now he's uh, you know telling little cuties on the air. Buried in uh, my uh, unilateral condemnation of Tom... Um, was the the issue that I'm oh, getting? Oh, I would at, be which... here only speaking Spanish, is what Kyle said. Can you speak Spanish? Can you say si. Carroyo? Si. Carroyo. 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 Si. Carroyo. Cuban cigar with the best Carol of them. See. Si. No, you can do it then. Okay. You can have a job anywhere in this town. Uh, buried in all this is that whole business. I think that Hart apparently had long been behaving in ways those of us that thought he was a great candidate didn't know. And so when they when they get a way to say, look, we can report this, as opposed to saying, oh, there's something about Guy, Gary Hart that's always bugged us, which is exactly the kind of reporting we bugged don't us, want. Bugged us? Is that a play on words? If you, or is that... <laughs> if you can actually catch him in his hypocritical act, then do it. And in fact, um, we were done a service by that story. I, I know that it... Um, no one likes that kind of story. I, I doubt that you, that Fiedler or Savage or McGee would say, this, um, this was a neat story to do. I'm sure they didn't like it. Nonetheless... Um, finally, we we got to someone and exposed the thing people needed to know about in a way that never happened with Ronald Reagan. 
And as we're now finding out from the Reagan administration, the layers of duplicity and deceit are incredible. And now we've just had a ship attacked successfully in the Persian Gulf that it turns out its defenses weren't on, yeah. and we're going to find out probably that the defenses didn't work. And if that doesn't sound like the whole Lebanon thing all over again with these people who cannot learn the lesson. Human sacrifices. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. Exactly. Nobody cares. Uh, but we, we, Don't we you understand? Nobody cares. Well, we couldn't get to that guy, and I'll guarantee you there will be more efforts by all newspapers. And, and very few people uh, care about the hearings that are going group. on, but boy, they sure cared about the Gary Hart story. Well, and I forget how many days in a row it was that your newspaper on the front page, in fact, there was even one day when there were some really wild revelations. I think it was when McFarlane was testifying, or maybe it was um, the general. Secord? Secord. One of the two. There was I forget exactly what it was, but there was a major revelation, which in essence said that Reagan knew everything all along, et cetera, and so on. And that was like little little bitsy news off in the bottom left-hand corner of the page, and the Gary Hart thing, which by now was several days old, was still prominent and made center front with big picture in the whole business in the Miami Herald. Well, I don't think anyone would pretend either that the Herald is uh, uh, immune from quote, human interest stories, end quote. Human the Donna Rice angle gave it a human interest. Yeah. Uh, okay, why don't we all just admit one thing, okay? Because I've done it the last four or five months. I've changed the format of this show. We do very little topical talk. You, I mean, we make no secret of it. And the ratings have soared, and the demographics are better, and everything is great. Think the listening, listeners are leaving now? What, today? Yeah, because no. it's topical. Okay. No. This is not topical. Oh, all right. We're, we're discussing it, like, from a third party Okay. Situation like we're not involved in. We're looking at it from the outside. Why don't we just all admit it instead of pretending like at the Herald to be great journalists and bragging about their Pulitzer prizes? Why don't they admit they're only in the business of selling newspapers, just like we're in the business of getting ratings and selling commercials? We're all whores, okay? Why don't we just admit that? And whatever you people want, we're going to give it to you. And forget about all the rest. And we'll suffer the consequences. Well, that that is, and the... we will suffer the consequences. You know that. That's the guiding principle of. Um... Of, of media, they they exist to make money. Yeah. Because they can't exist if they don't. But yeah, the same thing is true of this show. It's true of the Herald, and that is, it's large enough to encompass a number of different things. I mean, you it may not have been topical the last couple of months, but you've had serious issues that you've dealt with. The Herald runs funnies, and it runs analyses of what Reagan is doing. Yeah, but um, why don't they run their funnies on the front page? Well, now see if you laughed at the heart thing. Pause. I didn't laugh at the heart thing. I didn't. I laughed at it? I didn't find it a funny at all, no. No, because, I, I, as I say, I was a hard backer. I was dismayed. I didn't laugh at it. I thought it was disgusting, uh, revolting, but... and nauseating, and I still I didn't like him then. I don't like him now. I don't like him any more or less, because I don't care who he's sleeping well, with. I was it's not my business. I was deeply disillusioned, and frankly, I don't care who he's sleeping with And I think that Mario Cuomo's got an open field now. All he's got to do is say, hey, I want it, and he's got it. Mm -hmm. That's all he's got to do is say it. I mean, when Jesse Jackson is shown in the polls to be leading, and, you know, Jesse couldn't get arrested if his life depended upon it, you know that if Cuomo wants it, he's got it. But, in fact, you've made a good point. We do run funny He'll be running page. against Barbara we, Studley. We run little jokes while we, I guess, run them on uh, page two now. But uh, we, for a long time, ran today's chuckle, which was rarely funny on the front page. And every now and then we'll have a picture of a puppy or a kitten or something. But, that, but I mean, nowhere is it written that a newspaper uh, has got to be a, th a theoretical abstract or a Ph.D. thesis. A newspaper is aimed at a wide spectrum of people. And presumably, if you have a deep interest in politics, for instance, you buy your daily newspaper, you may also buy the New York Times, and you get your magazines at the end of the week. You get the Nation, New Republic, or Commentary, or whatever, or National Review, God forbid. But National Review? You, well, people do read it, right? Not people who listen to this show. Not people to whom I know either. But Maybe people who listen to Daffy's show. We're, we're not 100 spotlight. Uh, spotlight. We're not 100% serious. If we were, I wouldn't have a job. I mean, somebody's got to talk okay, about now, movies. You wrote a column about colorization. 
which incidentally was like a couple of days after I'd been talking about it. I don't want to, you know, sound as though I planted the seeds in your mind because I'm sure you didn't even hear me discuss it. I'm not sure I did. But, but my point was, isn't it amazing that, the office, that Congress it? has the time to deal? I mean, here we've got, you know, Americans being killed in the Middle East again. We've got all of these hearings going on in Washington. The president is a compulsive psychopath liar. And in the meantime, we have nothing more important than to be concerned with as to whether we're colorizing old movies and, you know, Congress is sitting there listening to Woody Allen. I have the feeling that people in Hollywood and show business can request to come before Congress on anything, no matter how specious it is. Like, should we pass a law limiting the number of, um, what are they called, the blocks, the stars in Hollywood, you know, where they oh, yeah, the put in the cement. Stars, yeah. Right? Yeah. Limiting the number of stars that can be put there. And I'm sure that Congress would find the time. Yeah, I suspect they would, because, and that works on the They're state mesmerized. level as well. They're I mean, overwhelmed by Bob these Graham guys. spent, I don't know how many years, uh, in the thrall of Burt Reynolds. Burt could show up, and everything stopped. You know, when Burt Reynolds came... Uh, the wheels of government in Tallahassee ground to a halt. What's going on? You're shaking your head. No, no, it just says here, uh, Kyle put on the screen, they wanted his autograph. Who wanted his autograph? Wait a minute. They, those must be some of the guys that Tom Fiedler sent over here. <laughs> oh, uh, Congress. I see. Congress wanted Woody Allen's autograph. Well, yeah, you know, of course. Of course. That really is He autographed it is. with his nose. We're, we're dealing with the same, you know, with, with human beings uh, in presumably exalted positions, but they have the same drives and lusts, we find out, from not just Gary, but as anyone else. They want to meet stars. They want to hang out with big people. Oh, boy. Uh, they want to meet him at the Russian Tea Room and that kind of thing. Sure, you get Woody in, you get you get him on the dais or you get him testifying. Boy, that's fun. That's a good way to kill a couple of hours. Well, I just, the whole thing amazed me because what Congress thinks is going to do about colorization, I, I don't know. Are they going to pass a law and say that Ted Turner can't color films? I mean, what what is it all about? All it's, all it's about is that the stars are coming. That's it. And there was it's no just like the hearings that. that they had with uh, with the people from the networks. Well, and David Brinkley had the accurate comment. He said, first of all, there's no reason for any of these network people to be here, and the ones who are here know nothing about the news business anyway. He said if they want to have a hearing, they can go ahead and have one, but if it were up to me, I wouldn't have shown up. I mean, what business has Congress got calling the heads of the networks to Washington saying we want to talk about the way you're covering the news? Well, that, to me, is far more troublesome. And colorization is merely a waste of time and a, and a, a signal that Congress can be as fatuous as ever in times of real trouble. Uh, the whole business about the networks being interrogated is there's supposed to be uh, an amendment or two between the networks and any sort of congressional action. I mean, what on earth were they going to do? Suppose uh, Tish had stood up there and said, yes, I'm shutting down CBS News altogether. No more news. What are they going to do? Say, no, you can't do that? <laughs> um, but again, there was the illusion of something going said. on there. Uh, and But of course, actually, the networks played it pretty cagey. ABC came on and said... We remain deeply committed to news and public affairs to give our world as an example. Then, of course, oh, yeah. they went out and canceled our world. Mm -hmm. It was pretty cute, but they canceled our world after the hearings. So they got, they got credit <laughs> both ways. Congress says, yeah, these guys are deeply committed. And yeah. then they go back and they get rid of the show, which is actually fine. And they keep 2020, which remains a scandal. But there's no, um, there's no underestimating where Congress... These guys need a break, apparently. Congress needs a break. If you're Pat Leahy out of Vermont... And, you know, it's it's tough. The Contra stuff is going on, and, and you're not uh, deeply involved in that, so you're losing headlines. And uh, besides, it would be nice to schmooze. And, you know, your life is tough because 
you got to commute back and forth from Burlington and whatever to Washington, and you don't have the connections at the looks of Gary Hart, so you're not able to have as good a time. You need a little relaxation. You need to let off some steam. So you have the woodman come in. That's it. Then Sidney Pollack and Jimmy Stewart writes you a letter, and you do get his autograph in the letter. You can do yeah. that in ten years. The, you Although know, he probably didn't really sign it. But again, there's been we, we are we. I think we've seen the last six years a complete breakdown, media and congressional, in being able to control what's going on, in in the serious side of life. So we make a lot of what's you know we laugh at it. Well, we we make a lot of what's going on inconsequentially. But no one could get to Reagan, not Congress and not the media. So, gee, might as well have Woody on. Terrific. 20 minutes past 12 at WINZ. Bill Cosford is here. We're going to uh, talk just a little bit about movies. And then we'll open the phones up and see what they want to talk to you about. Let's turn the tables on you this time. Let's see what they want to talk to you about. Now, maybe you've got a lot of those young suits planted who call in about the <clears> movies, <throat> who are re who really pretend to be all into film, you know, really uh, students. I never, I never plant my suits. They just, they know by radar. They can tell. We'll come back with Bill Cosford right after this. Sylvester Stallone stars in his most challenging role since Rhinestone. Yo, Mandy, and you came, and you gave without taking, and now you're friggin' dead. Stallone is Manilow in Barry, First Wimp, Part One. It's a miracle. Canada Copa. Absolutely, yo. Copa Cabana with my Uzi. Rex Reed says, I love the costumes. Gene Siskel exclaims, four stars, yo, absolutely. Roger Ebert says, pass the popcorn. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone as the limp arm of the law. Barry, first wimp, part one. You are the disease, and I'm the cure. Yes, you. And coming this summer. I know you are, but what a boy. Rudger Hauer in. I know you are, but what a boy. Pee Wee's Last Adventure. I know you are, but what a I thought that would get us in the right, right frame of mind to get into the movies. That's wonderful now. stuff. Is that good? Where did that one come from? Where did it come from? Is it local? From somebody's bizarre imagination. Somebody's bizarre. Yeah. Oh, we're not tracing this one back. No, to no. This was not being. stolen. No, this is, oh, this is not. This is not no. sub rosa or no. black market. No, this is yeah. right out in the open. Oh, this is. It's hot. I like that a lot. Pee Wee's Last Adventure. Yeah. Brilliant. With Rutger Hauer, no less, right, which yes. brings us right back to the Hitcher. Right we're still waiting Hitcher. for the sequel to come out. By the way, I don't think there will be a sequel. But the, now you see, Siskel and Ebert. That was one of the films they said should be burned. I think. Which one? The Hitcher. The Hitcher. Should be burned. Are you serious? Mindless violence. A classic. Uh, the boys, they're stretched a little thin. They have trouble getting into all the movies, I think. <laughs> I was um, out interviewing Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman for this movie, Ishtar, and we're sitting around a table waiting for the interview to start, and Siskel was supposed to be there, but a woman comes in at the last minute and says, I'm sorry, Gene's had a call from his office. Uh, he won't be able to make the interview. He'll have to. Now, here's a guy who's rearranging Warren Beatty's schedule. Uh -huh. This is the critic out of control. Of course. Also, I'd want to know who from the office would call you out of an interview with Warren Beatty. He doesn't gives them every probably once, Sam Hirsch, but <laughs> your critic at large. Uh, may, might have been uh, Roger Ebert calling him. Uh, Roger may have uh, gone into a food frenzy. You can't tell. He may have needed Gene's help on something. <laughs> well, you know, you eat as much popcorn as he does, and uh, pretty soon it's going to go to your head. You ever seen those big bags? They um, they'll sometimes yeah. bag, and they don't you know, yeah. pre-cook it now. That's what they just hammer those to Raj. <laughs> And he just drags into the theater with him. He'd be he great at one of those film festivals that you like, huh? Hey, they're all over at Cannes now. 
Everybody but me is in, is in Canada. Good. Thank goodness for that. We don't life. have to read any more about that sued stuff. No, no more okay, about now getting, that sued uh, stuff. One of the other things we want to do before we take any calls is talk about another fantasy of yours. Because Cosford, you know, having been at the Herald so long and down there cloaked at one Herald Plaza, at least when he's in town for so many years, is now part of the establishment. And the last time you were here, you were talking about the people mover. And how exciting it was to get out of People Mover, and you were just you were swept up in the People. I thought you were I still ready, am. I thought you were ready to move in I to the People am. Mover permanently and just to live in there. It's just an adorable little. Thing and now the Bayside is open since you were here the last time. Uh, during every break, Cosford keeps uh, just going. Even his lighter that he's got here today is a Bayside lighter. Bayside right on it. And you can uh, we've tell got the because... basketball team coming, and of course, uh, no question about it, Mike Miller is going to get us the Super Bowl in 1990. <laughs> and uh, our hockey team and the baseball team, I mean, uh, and all of it's going to be downtown. That's the amazing thing. What is it with those guys over on that station anyway? When this this poor schlump is out there with these with this petition as yeah. if, I mean, just... And 80% it, of them came from Joe's Bar that has about six customers every day, and they got like 25,000 signatures in Joe's Bar. But is the, is the reasoning that this is something surprising, that Miami is the only city in the country in which 45,000 people, even allowing all the signatures, were genuine, want the Super Bowl to come there? I mean, you could get that from Coral Gables. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I guess I should have thought of that, or we could, we could have done it for Naranja. You know, get every single person's name on the thing. That's a good idea. Let's get the Super Bowl for Naranja. To hell with, uh, you know, to hell with Joe Robbie Stadium. That's Mr. Robbie to you. If you, see, you don't listen to that station it's quite. It's bag to me. I, I listen to the sports segment of that station, and it's uh, this guy Weaver. Just, I mean, talk about giving you the creeps. This Mr. Robbie stuff. After yeah. a while, he just everyone in the world calls this guy Joe. And if you've ever met him, not Mr. He, uh, no, not Rick Weaver. I mean, because he's Rick a real Joe relationship. Yeah. You know, this is this is really a. Well, see, that's guy. one thing about IOD. You know that they're really objective about all of this because, uh, like, Robbie owns Rick Weaver. I mean, personally. He even has his socks and his underwear in a drawer some t somewhere, and one of these days he's going to give them to him. Uh, apparently. Even well, a bar of soap one day. Rick is legitimately a strange man. His yes. success is a strange phenomenon, but yeah. this is a strange town. There is a strange aroma surrounding Mr. Weaver. There's no. That's what all the people who work with him tell me, but that's another story. Wait, when they Did you ever catch him when he was on the Super Bowl preview show and they were... They were talking about Brent Musburger or somebody was interviewing Weaver for some reason. The Dolphins were in the Super Bowl. I guess that was... Oh, when was the last time we were in? When we were crushed by whom? Two, three years ago. Yeah. Um, by the 49ers. And out of nowhere, Weaver comes up with this uh, on national television. Out of nowhere, he says, you know, I made Brent Musburger's career. I gave him his first start. You know, nobody even asked him about it. They're asking about the Dolphins and all the rest. This is a strange man. Yeah. But uh, he's not quite so uh, egotistical when it comes to Mr. Robbie. Anyway. Well, Mr. Robbie owns Mr. Weaver. You can go to the bank on that. Well, it'll Lock, be... stock, and barrel. It'll be Mr. Robbie to me if he succeeds in bringing baseball to this town, which, I mean, the NBA thing, I think, is great. We'll get into that in a second. But uh, if he can get baseball here, he will be Mr. Robbie to me. But what I don't get, uh, we're going to lose every listener on the whole, across the spectrum now, but what I don't get is how Uberoff can say over and over and over again, we don't want multi-use stadiums, we only want parks. We want baseball parks, which is a great idea. We want more Fenways, more Wrigley's, and uh, fewer what Arrowhead stadiums, whatever those things are. Where, you know, three rivers. Are. Right, three rivers. Um, and meanwhile, Joe just goes around and said, no, yeah, we'll have it by the end of the decade, no problem, because we're going to put baseball in here. Yeah. By folding up a bunch of chairs uh, on one side, we'll have a 370-foot left, you know, uh, left field, and then I forget what he's going to do. Oh, yeah, we've made it wide enough, so we'll, we got room to plop it in there. I can't wait to sit in this place. First of all, watching football in a stadium designed also for baseball is a pain in the neck because the field is too wide. And uh, But if he can get baseball there, then he'll be Mr. Robbie to me for the several years until the team flees 
<laughs> after it's gate receipts for about a dollar and a half. And I, I, I know this should be the perfect town for baseball. See, now, now the truth comes well, out. Well, I just, you know, I of have course, the, the stadium is at Lake Lucerne. It's not in downtown Miami. Oh. So you're willing to predict the failure of anything like at Lake Lucerne or Naranja, any place else. But if it's in downtown Miami, like the Metro Rail and the People Mover and the basketball team that you alluded to only moments ago, and I can't wait to hear this, if it's downtown, then you know it's going to be great. And no, everybody's going no. to come flocking from everywhere would, to go to Overtown. I, would you know, I just, I just went idea. nuts listening to Rick Horro, who was on, I think, an IOD, of course. Um, oh, no, he was on with Ron Sachs. Excuse me, it was with Ron Sachs that he was on. And Rick Horro, who's probably got one of the best scams going in history, keeps getting paid to be the sports, what is that title? Sports, um... I don't know what Rick said. Something or other. No. Something he's, or other. He's on and off these yeah. sports. Yeah, sports authority, chairman or whatever, and, and nothing ever happens. You know, nobody ever gets a team. Now we finally got another team, so now he can almost legitimize another five years of this salary that he gets. And uh, he was telling us about all the great things and trying to tell us, well, it's not really in Overtown. It's uh, Park West. It's not over. Just go down there and look. You know, walk around there at night. It's safe. It's great. Of course, he's not going to walk around there because the guy wants to stay alive. People are not going to go there. Well, a certain kind of person certainly isn't going to go there because there are a lot of people who still won't go to parts of downtown Miami that are certifiably safe. Yeah. There are parts of downtown Miami that are safer at night than Coral Gables. Um, the reason may be because there's no one there. You know, there's not enough foot traffic to support a mugger. Nonetheless, it's true that there are parts of downtown Miami that are very safe. Uh, and I, uh, you know, whenever the film felt like around the on, Herald, for example, that's no, the, Her the Herald's not as as good a place as, for instance, the access between Gusman Cultural Center and the Intercontinental Hotel, which during the season is an axis many of us suds travel, because whatever is at Gusman Film Festival or maybe uh, Miami City Ballet or something like that, and then there may be a reception afterwards, or you just go to the bar at the Intercontinental because it happens to be open and nice. Mm -hmm. I've walked that many a time looking helpless in my tux, you know, or, or you know, dressed in, in, in any way, but looking like a, you know, a helpless, a walking elitist sued a walking yeah. target in a way that I would never comport myself in New York, walking from Broadway to my hotel. No way. I mean, you, you walk carefully there. You do the get shuffle when you're, when you're coming from a theater in New York. And I, I get into furious arguments with people, even, you know, good friends over just this issue, because people who think nothing of going to New York as tourists and saying, oh, honey, we'll take in a show again tonight. Yeah. And then they walk back to the Algonquin or the Milford Plaza. They're coming down 44th Street across... You know, 8th, no 7th problem. Avenue, Broadway. No They'll walk problem. Along and, and if you pay attention to what's going on in those situations, you can watch the guys. They, they work in teams. You know, you can watch one up the block spotting you, and there's an, all of a sudden there'll be another one behind you. This has happened to me a couple of times. There you've got to be really careful. That kind of stuff doesn't happen where I travel in downtown Miami. But Yeah, but you see, what's going on in New York is almost worth getting mugged for. What's going on here, it's just not worth well, it. Well, that's an interesting nuance. That I yeah. hadn't thought of You never of thought about in that words, before. It, you just, you... In other words, the risk factor has to be justified. Oh. Are you willing to put your life on the line to go see a Broadway play or you... to go to Madison Square Garden as opposed to going downtown where there's nothing basically going on? You just give up your wallet as an additional cost of the ticket. Right. right. Well, no, I don't think the very fact that the NBA thing is downtown makes it good. As a matter of fact, it's going to make it harder, clearly, because people have that perception. They don't want to go there. And there are some reasons for that. I mean, Overtown is a troubled area, and it has been since they built no the road kidding. there and split the yeah. neighborhood in half. Very profound. But uh, on the other hand, NBA basketball does have a, a younger, I think, clientele for the most part than, say, baseball or football. And it tends to be a more ethnic clientele. So they're going to get some people who aren't afraid to be there. Oh, yeah. All those, all those middle-class blacks and upper-class blacks who live in South Florida, both of them. I mean, where do we have this large middle and upper class black population? It may not be a middle class thing. I'm I'm counting on uh, on some of those tickets going to people who 
just people who are just fans of sports, period. People who can't afford the Dolphins should be able to afford the Heat, right? The Dolphins tickets have gotten pretty expensive. Yeah, but the Heat plays a lot more games than the Dolphins do. Well, that's the problem, and that's why I've always been skeptical. skeptical Maybe if we had a basketball, basketball team that played only like a 14-game season. That might work. Because we know they'll never make the playoffs anyway. Well, you know how what a funny town this is. Over over the case of uh, those, what is it, seven games, or seven or eight games we're going to get from the Dolphins each year, this is what people focus on. They And they there's the perception of tremendous unified community enthusiasm for the Dolphins, except you will not find the stadium sold out after the second loss of the season unless it's against the Jets or the Raiders. Uh, that suggests to me that, yeah, there's some enthusiasm, but it's not what we think. We have everything focused in on this one little enterprise, the Miami Dolphins, eight times a year if they're lucky. And uh, meanwhile, the Hurricanes can go begging. doesn't make any difference what their national ranking is. doesn't make any difference about Vinny Testaverde. They can't fill the stadium for anybody but Gainesville or Notre Dame. And now Gainesville has turned tail. So what what happens with the NBA is actually they're coming in and, and you know, the team is, is hoping that people are going to adopt this particular franchise and see it through yeah. its lean and years, which Miami has not traditionally done. Yeah. But the they other, won't. The other side of it is, See, he though, won't say it. He's just tiptoeing on the edges. But you know they won't. Well, I have a problem. No I, chance. I would make a guess about baseball, but I, I don't know enough about basketball to make the guess. Uh, I'm not a big basketball fan. I certainly will go, but that I'll do out of uh, sued civic duty. You know, I'll go to a couple games a year to see what. Yeah, you can go like. there on the people mover. But uh, yes, and I will go on the people mover because boy, is it convenient and handy. And you know, for only twenty-five <laughs> cents, it's your South Florida transportation bargain. <laughs> now you forced that out of me. Well, I'm telling you, this man—he's part of his brain. I think he had a little bit of the same operation they gave Bill Casey, just just a partial. And at the Herald, you know, they take all the employees. That's a conspiracy, you know. At the Herald, they take the employees and they give them those psychological tests and they scream at them and they shout. They really do that, don't they? Actually, uh, they they do have a testing battery. Um, yeah, but um, I've heard that the tests that they do now are just incredible, and they take these poor bastards and they put them in a room with some lunatic, and he screams and yells and insults them, and they just do all kinds of wild. Well, that's not stuff. a test. That's just part of your weekly process. You <laughs> you go in and you meet your editor, and that's um, just the performance review. Is that what it's called? Pretty much performance review. Right? Twenty four before one at W I N Z. I think we ought to take some calls for Cosper because he's backed himself into an up corners now. Well, I just I did want to uh, say one might more thing. Say something about movies about, before we're finished. No, about the NBA. I wanted to say oh yeah, and that is. Who knows what really will happen, because for the first time we have two seasons of professional sports. That's going to be very interesting. Yeah. And you've also got some other Hurricanes reason. basketball. And you notice, even though they sold it out to corporations, got all the tickets sold, you saw how many people showed up for those games what at the night situation. session. 1,200, 1,400. And what's going to what happen to them when we have a pro basketball team playing at the same time? Good question. Yeah, excellent question. Has anybody thought about that? I don't know if Mr. Somebody Robbie asked Mr. Horro it, but, uh, that question. He didn't have a very satisfactory answer. Well, no, Zev Buffman, a, a prime mover, not the, but a prime mover in the yeah, basketball franchise, soon. does come from my beat, as it were, my principal beat, which is the uh, culture and pseudo-intellectual areas in town. What you see, now you've convinced me that this is true. It is true. Um I am confident that, th I mean, this guy sometimes, he doesn't always succeed, but... This is a pretty shrewd guy. He usually studies the stuff. And um, they I, I've got to figure, as Bayside did, Bayside had all kinds of marketing surveys in which they predicted precisely what many people said wouldn't happen, which was a gangbuster opening. i got to figure that Zeb's got a line on the same thing. He's got reason to believe that a lot of people are going to come. Um, and certainly, if it works at all, this team works just within a couple of years, that will bring the entire community yeah. around it back. Baseball. Very much so. Well, I, I don't know back. if it will bring baseball, Hockey. but it will bring Overtown 
back Curling. to a semblance of decency as a community. Bullfighting. The same way that Bayside is bringing Biscayne Boulevard back lacrosse to at least the semblance of badminton being alive. tournaments. Okay, Bill Cosford is here. Let's give those numbers out and see if the audience wants to talk to him or if they're just a terminal at this point in Dade County. Six, and you can ask about movies because that's oh, yeah. really why he's here, yeah. but, uh, you know, we like to kill a lot of time. In Dade County, 624-0191. Let me say it again, 624-0191. And in Broward, 764-0707. 764-0707. It's 21 before 1 at WINZ. We're up against Saks now, so it could be a little bit tough. We'll come back right after this. Okay, 19 before 1 at WYNZ, Neil Rogers with my guest Bill Cosford, the, a movie critic, almost said radio critic, I guess you're trying to move into that area a little bit for the uh, Miami Herald, and not too many people want to talk to you, Bill, that's the bottom line, got a very limited number of calls on the board, I told you, first of all, they're not interested in movies, they don't care about the basketball team, they know it's going to be a flop, uh, colorization, they couldn't give a damn less, they feel they don't <laughs> like Woody Allen, but uh, hey, I'll give the numbers out one more time, and if they don't want to talk to you, that's their business. I'm surprised. They don't want to talk to you. They have a Herald target got here. three lines lit on the board. I mean, that's embarrassing. But Even I'm... Barbara Kapitman get, gets better response <laughs> than that. I'm surprised with all the vitriol about the Herald, and since they have a captive Herald exactly. target Exactly, and here. if you want to rip Cosford for the Herald, rip. I mean, Linda Thornton, we wouldn't let you do that, too, because she's not responsible, but he's sitting here defending it. Well, because she's a decent human being, exactly. too. Exactly. She's not some kind of a suit who defends typical. this kind of yellow journalism. I am typical of the kind of scum who would not only do one of these stories, but would defend it. Yeah, and relish it, savor it. Relish it. Okay, I'll give the numbers one more time, and if not, we'll just uh, say goodbye to the audience. In Dade County, 624, of course, I guess they heard everything they needed to know about movies yesterday. 624-0191 in Dade and one open line in Broward at 764-0707. And Bill has promised, if you're real nice to him, that just before 2 o'clock he'll tell you why Rob Lowe wears the earring, okay? We don't want to leave it all this sturdy, do we? I think Rob Lowe may be the greatest single talent in motion pictures today. Miami, hello. Hello. I don't care to know about Rob Lowe too much, but I might ask a question about movies, uh, believe it or not. Uh, First of all, Mass Appeal. I'm glad you mentioned that. It, it was a fine film. A lot yeah, it was. of people out there enjoyed it. Excellent. Yep. Especially young Catholics. I think it raised a lot of questions with them. Good. Uh, second of all, I think basketball is going to bomb, but baseball, you got a point there. Well, I'm, I just mentioned baseball because it's a personal preference, and I, I'd be really skeptical of that one, too. What, what worries me about the Miami audience is are they good over an 81 home game schedule, and that's another question with the NBA. Are they good? How many home games does an NBA team play? Too many. Forty-some. Too many. Forty-some. Well, I mean, it could be hockey. It could be worse. Well, it could be hockey. Go down and you see the Orioles and you see the Yanks up in Lauderdale. They sell it out every week, every day. They do draw. The Orioles, I've actually I've noticed, uh, are drawing better than they used to. I have no real explanation for that because they haven't been doing well in the regular season. But the last couple of years, even at Miami Stadium, which is in the famous bad neighborhood, they're drawing better. Yeah. What I really want to talk about is this colorization thing, believe it or not. Great. I'm interested to know if the people who are colorizing these films, did they not purchase the rights to do that? Yes, indeed, they did. So, And I've heard Neil talking all morning, I guess, about the, the First Amendment rights, which are guaranteed and which cannot be bought or sold. But uh, we're getting into the debate about someone who actually purchased the rights and therefore probably has the right to colorize the film whether the director or the actor has something to say about it or not. Well, that I, I think is one of the reasons why the congressional hearings were such a farce. There's no legal issue here. I mean, they, uh, Ted Turner has the right to put color on videotapes of movies. 
in the same way that uh, any director whose whose producer has bought a script has a right to make modifications in the script. It happens every time. That's the way movies are made. Um, what it is is a it's an aesthetic, an aesthetic and maybe moral question. But what that's doing being debated in Congress, I don't have the slightest idea because there, there's no legal problem for Ted Turner at all. Your opinion, it is a moot point right now. Yeah, the only thing about it that surprises me is apparently uh, it is turning out to be true. Maybe it's just a novelty effect, but it is turning out to be true that people would rather watch color versions than black and white. And maybe I'm just old enough to remember having watched a lot of films in black and white, but. It seems to me when you turn on the TV, it doesn't make a heck of a lot of difference. But I guess some of these pictures, like It's a Wonderful Life, that I think of as being in black and white, are actually drawing a bigger audience because they're in these ridiculous ice cream colors. And uh, that surprises me. I don't know why it is, but uh, they're out there, those people. Last thing, do you think the same uh, problem applies when you turn on TV and you get a Nike commercial with uh, John Lennon's Revolution in the background? You know, that's kind of bastardizing those songs. It, it is to the extent that you, um, to the, the extent that they once meant something to you, and I'm of the generation that rights were sold. Yeah, yeah, I. Jackson um, owns them, and he sold them. Uh, unfortunately, um, as pure as Michael would like us to think that he is, he does a lot of things for money, and that was one, and and, and that's kind of a sad deal. I, you know, it's like hearing a Bob Dylan ballad being used to peddle uh, arms or something. It's the whole business of rock sellout. Is a sad one, but but you know, rock groups by and large sold out a long time ago. There've been sponsored tours for years, uh, and um, you know, popular music is no longer the force for social change it once was. And even if it were, given the tenor of the times, I think if if rock groups were going to make a social statement, it would probably be make a lot of money and do it now, because that's that's the social thrust of today, as opposed to the '60s when it was we don't care about money, we want uh, you know an idealistic life or that kind of thing. Frankly, yes, it annoys me a great deal when I see venerated popular songs that once had political meaning being used to pedal shoes. Uh, what I do then is, I, and I really do do this. I, I do ignore. Do? The, I do do this. I don't buy the product then. I mean, there are products I won't buy. You said several things on the show today, by the way, which I'm not so sure are acceptable. We'll mm. check what standards and practices after the it's show too late and see now. if you can come back. Because on. radio being pervasive, my words have already sunk exactly. through the very terrazzo exactly. of South Florida. Unlike the, the newspaper, which, they, just, which just shows up on your doorstep. These words, even if you don't order it, these words sit in the homes now, like PCBs or radon, yeah, exactly. and they'll come up to infect the young. Have to have the uh, inspector come in once a month to spray the walls to get him out. We have an open line in Dade, 624-0191, Boynton Beach. Hello. Hi, Neil. Hi. Hi. I have a question about movies. Um, Ishtar? Yes. Um, Dustin Hoffman, which I would go to see anyways because I like him. Warren Beatty, I don't understand what the big deal is, but he'll probably be okay. It's gotten terrible reviews, but I plan on seeing it anyways. What did you think about it? Well, I didn't think it was terrible. I, I don't think it's very funny. Uh, I, I'm writing about this for, for this Sunday. One of the sad things uh, about our, our obsession these days with monies and lists and rankings and ratings and all the rest is that no one can get away from the, from the knowledge that Ishtar cost between 40 and $50 million to make. Hence, although it's not a very funny movie, now it's being called a colossal uh, dud or colossally dunderheaded or an unbelievably big failure. Well, it's not that. If you didn't know how much it cost, you'd walk in, I think you'd chuckle, enjoy it, and you'd walk out. But unfortunately, now that we know and have made a big deal of how much it cost, people are judging it in terms of its money. It certainly doesn't look as if it should have cost $50 million. On the other hand... Chuckle. Uh, yeah, it's a chuckle movie. But given the salaries of Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman and the director... Uh, the movie cost $14 million before they'd done anything, because these are very high-paid people. So uh, it's not a big movie. It's going to lose somebody a tremendous amount of money, 
And the odd thing is, I'm in agreement with you on one interesting statement, which is I've never understood what the big deal is about Warren Beatty either. He has not made that many films. Most of them have been successes. But he's one of the most powerful and popular men in Hollywood. And um, I, I, I guess because he's long been thought of as being a guaranteed box office draw, Ishtar is about to prove that that is not true. Well, it's his money into it, so he's the one who's going to lose it. Well, actually, Columbia Pictures is going to lose the $50 million. But isn't he the producer? He's the producer, but he produced in the real sense, not the executive producer sense. That is, he was, for a $500,000 fee, the man who ran the operation. Uh, he uh, uh, supervised the hiring of people, made sure they were on schedule, and assisted the director in any way he could. But he, has, he told me he gave the director free hand for the most part. Uh, and th in this case, producer does not mean that he put up the money. The money came from Columbia Pictures, $28 million, and they went over that budget by about as much as 23 more. Well, I would have done it for 250000 They could Yeah, I would have done it for 150. I I would have, too. Yeah. Okay. Boy, this call ought to be great. Somebody in a payphone in Hollywood wants to talk about the Herald. Hello. Uncle Neil. Yes. First time caller here. Good. And uh, I just uh, thought this was the perfect opportunity to call in with this uh, amusing anecdote I have for you. Uh, last month, my wife and I were taking a vacation out in Colorado, and we're on a flight out to Denver, and we noticed in the seats in front of us was this young, attractive woman sitting there reading a book, minding her business. And then the seat next to her was vacant, but then on the aisle seat was this uh, torpy type of guy. And it was so obvious that he was annoying and pesting her as she kept rapping and hawking her and, and, and trying to impress her and what he does and for a living and trying to pick her up. And she was very polite and was just trying to ignore him. But this was going on for the entire flight out to Denver. Guess who that was sitting next to her? Gary Hart? Nope. Tom Fiedler. That's right. No, it wasn't Fiedler. That's the honest <laughs> That's the honest truth. It was Tom Fiedler. And we were listening, eavesdropping in on the conversation. And it turns out to be so ironic that, uh, you know, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. How do you like that? Actually, I've never known Fiedler to be boastful at all. Twerp. I mean, boastful twerp. There are some people who get off on their role as reporters, but I've never known Fiedler to do that. He's a very quiet, soft-spoken man. But maybe he leads a double life. And, yeah. Um, like I Clark would guess. Kent. He's the Clark Kent of the Miami Herald. Well, now that this is out, and now that people have heard it, I can predict that we will have a stakeout of Feeler's Digs. So we'll Great. have the story for you in a week. Incredible. Thank you, sir. A WYNG exclusive. Ten minutes before <laughs> one at Winds. We have uh, two open lines in Broward now, 764-0707. You're doing a little bit better, not uh, overwhelming. 764-0707. We'll come back with Bill Cosford of the Herald right after this. That'll be a good half hour. Yeah. He, he is well. very good. I have yet he is to, very good. I've yet to see him not make a lot of sense in BX. And we're going to talk about freedom of speech, and he's very good on that, too. We do have an open line in Dade. Somebody expired. They were on their way to see Ishtar. Uh, 624-0191, Bay Harbor Island. Hello. Hello. Yes. I'd like to ask Mr. Cosford about two pictures. One picture was beyond therapy. Why what? did that only last one week in this city? I don't know. I I really liked Beyond Therapy a lot. Really what made was that, me laugh. Jack Sturdy? Um, <laughs> in a profound sense, yeah. Uh, it was the Robert Altman uh, adaptation of the Durang play about people and their and their therapists. And of course, the therapists wound up being crazier than they were. And mm. it, was a, it was a it was a farce. Never fails. It was you know ten times the the farce that Ishtar is. For instance, a very funny movie. A lot of people just hated it, and I got some mean mail on that, and it also got some bad reviews, and people just wouldn't go. 
They were four people in the in the movie. Sometimes they just don't work. Uh, Altman is a perfect example. He's the same guy who made Nashville and A Wedding and Mash. Right. Uh, but um, people have forgotten that, and he had a he's he's been on a downhill slide. People don't go to see his movies anymore. Uh, I have no explanation for that one. There are there are times when people have radar for uh, quality movies, and it's it's a better radar than the USS Stark had. It's like anti-radar. They detect a good movie, and they won't go. We have another great movie call coming up next. It says, The Owner of the Pussycat Theater is on line three. Could this be Leroy Griffith really calling in? It could be. Hello. Yes, it is. I can't believe it. I'm calling in my car. The reason I'm calling is the about a month ago, the city of Miami Police Department, there's a total of 11 officers, two lieutenants, the Miami Fire Department, came to the theater and confiscated a film which they said was obscene at the time, confiscated all the equipment, tucked down the screen, and uh, they wasted a lot of time and effort on this film. The Miami Herald, for four weeks straight, they at one page, they run four complete pages in the uh, neighbor's section, photographs and everything. Yesterday we were in court with this same film, and Judge Klein ruled that the film was not obscene. I haven't seen anything mentioned in the Herald about that at all. This is the first I'm hearing of it, although um, since we've got people covering courts, I, I can't imagine that, it, that someone else isn't aware of it. Um, and I would expect we'd, we'd have a story on that. Uh, and this, the, the law that they're also trying to charge us with now is the racketeering law, uh, which they went back uh, 17 years or 11 years, I think it was, and they're trying to take the 18 films out of the uh, 5,000 something we have ran and those, they did take and make arrest on 18 of them. Now, some of those 18 films were declared uh, just withheld adjudications, not guilty. And they're trying to make a racketeering act uh, with it, which if they can make it stick, they could confiscate all the properties that is owned by Gaty Theaters Incorporated, the charters, uh, also anything that I own, and put us right out of business. Well, this is an intriguing approach uh, that, that's been kicked around for years now to... Um uh, restricting so-called obscene films is the racketeering statute. But which... what's bad about this law is that anyone that profits or takes money from this corporation uh, can also be a co-defendant in it. Yeah, and and the, the idea being that uh, uh, porno pornographic films presumably are all manufactured by organized crime, which is a statement that is uh, transparently false. But beyond that, it's an amazing case of selective enforcement because if we were to go after every uh, legitimate business that beneath it had some sort of organized crime tie. We could start with uh, nightclub and cabaret acts, and and just we, we could fold down all live entertainment by the same uh, criterion. Because I mean, you've got comedians such as Don Rickles who will openly joke about their mob agents and the guys who are booking them. Uh, it's it's in, it's not even a secret in the industry. The fact is, there are a number of uh, glossy industries that are mobbed up to one extent or another. I mean, if we were going to worry much about racketeering behind enterprises, we should shut down truck drivers because the Teamsters unsavory yeah. past. It's another example of a little scam being run for a moralistic purpose. Uh, actually, people who worry about the Pussycat Theater ought to feel uh, happy that Miami has so few of these theaters. I, I'm toying with the idea in the back of my mind that Pussycat and that one on Miami Beach, I think it's the Roosevelt or whatever, ought to be declared like some sort of historic monuments <laughs> in Miami. Because South Florida has very few of them. And the videotape business has almost eviscerated them. We should treasure yeah. the couple that we have. And the whole idea of them, uh, what we should uh, you know, kind of protect because they're, they're a disappearing species. Right. The reason I'm calling also that the, this law is so loose and so bad 
that the Miami Herald could be a co-defendant in this lawsuit and that they could actually bring them in. The fact is that they've taken over $2 million of my money in advertising, and they certainly know what type of films we run. We run X-rated theaters. They advertise. They did articles on it. And where this law reads that anyone that profits from it uh, could be brought in as a co-defendant. Uh, this is the first time they've tried uh, this type of uh, law in the state of Florida. Uh, so far, uh, we went in front of Judge Fuller, and he issued, would not issue a temporary restraining order against the, uh, for the city, for the theaters. And they have 60 days to answer, and they could appeal his decision. Meantime, we're still tied up in court uh, with this hanging over our heads that they could come and confiscate the properties and uh, put us completely out of business just because of these films that they uh, said was obscene. Well, they're not even said they were obscene. Some of them were even won. Yeah. Even if you have won the case. Okay, I'm out of time here, Leroy, but uh, hopefully Bill will get to the right well, people at the Herald. There's another and... good scam here, too, involved in this, and they've been doing this to the video shops a lot. Okay, that let's, is. let's you, pick up on it when we come back. Okay. Mike Wolf has the headline, CBS with the World News at 1. We'll come back. 94 News wins. If you'd like to call Neil, dial Hunters. 107 at WINZ. That story about Yuri Geller was really a little more inane than you realize because uh, the man's been proven to be a fraud to begin with. So what difference does it make what he's eating, right, at this stage of the game? But don't confuse CBS with the tales. Okay, we have one open line. Somebody passed out in Dade when they heard about that. They were busy bending their spoon at lunchtime, and they couldn't handle it. Uh, 624-0191. Now, before we go back to the calls, you were right in the midst of a uh, song oh, and yeah, a dance the, about the Pussycat the Theater and about great, them. Now, the great scam about uh, ex, supposed X-rated videotape prosecutions is what they do, they, um, they get some judgments here and there yep. that such and such movie is obscene. Then they don't go to the videotape store and say, you better look out for such and such movie. They go and give them a long list of movies that might be obscene on there will be the titles that they know they have a judgment on somewhere else. So the videotape people are there in the situation where if the law were really designed to call out, you know, really mean they give films, a specific they would list. give them the titles. Yeah. And the people you know would say, okay, that's out, that's out. What they yeah. do instead is tell them, you may have one, and they give them no choice but to either get rid of all their, their sex videos or be busted. And you'll note that the busts are routinely against only one kind of person, poor 18- and 19-year-old clerk who's in there working. It's never against any other yeah. kind of person. They wouldn't bust the clerks. It is the most, it's really a savage and that, corrupt form of law That's like the clerk that got busted up in Bay County because he sold a, a cassette, an oh, yeah. album, to a 14-year-old boy. Without a sticker on it. It, it, it didn't have a tipper sticker. Uh, yeah. <laughs> By the way, I, now, I, again, I know that we're all supposed to be rational about this, um, and I think of myself as a serious political thinker, but there's no way Albert Gore, and I keep hearing more and more about him, mm -mm. is getting my vote no under way. any circumstances, and no. it's because of his wife. You Not bet. because of him, but it's because of her. She's a lunatic, and I don't have anything to do with those people. How about if he gets divorced? Divorced? And runs away right. with Donna Rice. Tremendous. Okay. Tremendous. Miami, hello. Hello. Hi. Hi, Neil. <laughs> you guys are terrific today. I'm sitting here in my office with my door closed, absolutely hysterical laughing at you. Got a couple of questions for you, Bill. I read your column consistently. Love disagreeing with you. Oh, good. Hate the Herald, but it's, unfortunately, it's the only game in town. And I've been a subscriber for more than 15 years. Isn't that horrible? Well, it is. It's it's dismaying and depressing. I've been a subscriber only a little bit longer, but it's not the only game in town. But it is um, the major game in town. I think that's what it is. And it's really frustrating. But I still get the times to find out what's really going on in the world. 
Good for you. Well, I get the Times every day too for a different perspective. Oh, do you really? World. Yeah, but isn't the, that interesting? There's an interesting, you know. We well, no, of course, I I wouldn't miss the Times each day either. But the national edition of the Times has so much earlier deadlines, and in fact, your national news will be more up to date in the Herald every day. The only time you'll get a break on the Times is if they have a scoop, a story that the Herald doesn't have. Absolutely right. But if you really want to know what's happening in town and you care about your community, you've got to read your local newspaper. Yes, you do. And, and you don't have to agree with the newspaper. Oh, oh no, I love disagreeing with it. Consistently. Yeah. I happen to be another one who adores Woody Allen. I'm a big Woody Allen fan. Do you know what his next movie's going to be and when it's coming out? I can confidently tell you um, that the title of it is Woody Allen's Untitled because that's always the title at this point in his working. Uh, then, uh, after a while, it will probably become Woody Allen's Fall Movie, will become the second working title. And I would expect that once again we will see it in January or February of 88. What it is about and who's in it, I don't know. Uh, some people may, but this is usually a closely guarded secret, uh, and this time again, apparently it is. I did hear that um, he will be in his next one as opposed to not uh, in. Oh, how terrific. Yeah. He will be in the new one? Uh, I, I, I have heard that, but there's never any telling. You know, he does keep them under wraps. Um, uh, and uh, we're considering staking out the set if we can find out where it is. I can't believe he's going to finally be a daddy. Yeah, it, it, that's an amazing thing. 51 years old, and, and they have no plans to marry, of course, but he says, you know, this will be an interesting experience. The weird thing about it is it, even uh, Mia has said Woody doesn't much like kids. So it, this will be intriguing. They are an intriguing couple. I really think they're really a perfect match, quite honestly. Yeah, they are. One other question. Uh, I'm going to see Ishtar. I happen to remember Elaine May when they were Nichols and May. I was a big fan of theirs. Yeah, yeah. And I am a very big Dustin Hoffman fan. So am I. Uh, Warren Beatty, I can take or leave, and mostly I can leave, except I happen to have liked shampoo very, very much. But I will see it. Well, I would encourage everyone to see it. I, You know, I didn't like the film very much. I gave it... Uh, a two-star review, but uh, I never think of the purpose of those as giving people an excuse not to go to a movie. Uh, anybody with any curiosity about any of the participants ought to go. Definitely. And my last question basically is uh, about Richard Chamberlain. He has done so well on TV. How come he's never made it on the big screen? Uh, a number of people are that way. Um, David Jansen was the same way. Yes, uh, another one that I really liked and very talented. Yeah, the best definition I've, I've heard of that is that these were these were figures who were essentially um, too hot or, depending on whom you believe, too cool for the big screen. They were small screen. You know, the small screen is the cool medium. They were perfect for the uh, uh, for the smaller screen, and they just don't blow up very well. And there are a number of them who were like that. Uh, I don't have any more profound um, explanation for that, except that whenever I see Richard Chamberlain uh, in big close-up, for instance, I'm aware that I don't think he's a very good actor. Whenever I see him on television, I, ne I never think that. I always think that he's, you know, perfectly adequate to the role. Uh, Jansen is very much the same way. I thought he was a marvelous television actor. Uh, in the few films that I saw him in, I just was never impressed one way or the other. Is his play Light Spirit still on Broadway or has it closed? Who's? Uh, Richard Chamberlain. Oh, um, I don't know. Oh. I don't know, I'm sorry to say. A trip up to New York, and I was just wondering if you had the information. Uh, no, but I, I do know, and this is not a plug, that uh, we, we run the uh, you know the Broadway listings in the in the Sunday Herald virtually every Sunday. It would be in there. Okay. Again, thank you. And, Neil, I am so glad that you are on in the morning and during the day. Me too. Uh, you have no idea how happy I am. Okay, thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye. Bye, Bye. Speaking of banned videos, let's take a call from Margate. Hello. 
Oh, gee whiz. No, we don't like to ban videos here in Margate. Oh, that's unfair. Um, I was going to ask um, Bill about colorization, but then when you got the call from Leroy Griffith, it opened up a whole new avenue of my conversation. I used to be one of the prosecutors that worked against, persecutors that worked against Leroy in a number of his films that we confiscated from the Pussycat. You were one of those people who was wasting taxpayers' dollars. You're absolutely right. We're wasting the taxpayers' dollars um, going against this guy who had, in my opinion, every right to show whatever he wanted to show because you couldn't let kids under 18 into the theater and these were adults who wanted to pay to see the stuff so I saw absolutely no reason why that's one of the reasons I left um, absolutely no reason why he couldn't show his films uh, Bill said that there was a, or you did say that what we would do is go in with a list to mom and pop video and say you may have some porno we wouldn't even go in with a list we'd send in an undercover guy you go to the X-rated section that says clearly X-rated, adults only, no one under 18 admitted, uh, closed off with a door. They'd go in, they'd pick some of the raunchiest looking tapes, take them home, you know, buy them, view them four or five times, get their jollies, write them down, take them to a judge. And it depended on which judge you went to as to whether he decided it was obscene or not. Yeah, yeah. And Jerry Klein, since he left his wife, or his wife left him, has never, has, has yet to find something obscene. While he was married, everything was obscene. Uh, it depends on your judge, and it depends on what happens during the day with them, as to whether they're going to go and go along with uh, determining something is not to be seen by the general public. That's an interesting nuance, that you, yeah. know, you, you wait for your judge, or wait for your judge to go through change of life or something, mm -hmm. and then, boom, you got it. Yeah, th that's true. Uh, in, in some video stores I've been into, they get a list, but only after the the tapes have been read, and only after the bust has been made. Well, then, yeah, well, after be a they list. busted them for four or five tapes, they take all of those tapes down. Hmm. You know, uh, yeah. and it's the older judges that dump on, make or, or make uh, these movies obscene. The younger ones won't won't go near it. I mean, I used to walk around with one of the cops trying to find a judge that was in who I knew would declare something obscene when we had to get a warrant out. And it was it was ridiculous. He said, well, which one is here? To, well, this one is off the list here, and let's see, judge, that one, no, we don't want to go to him. He's going to give us a hard time. But, but what, is the um, what is the purpose of this, though, I mean, of the exercise, other than to oh. continue posturing for the public? Well, Grace Rockefeller holds a lot of yeah. way out there in yeah. Miami, and uh, basically they're saying, we don't want this in our business district, and that's... Why are they doing it? I mean, why else do they bust the prostitutes on the on the boulevard when they have better things to go after? It's something that's very visible, very public, and makes a big splash. You know, like when the Herald wanted to print the name, or when the Herald did print the names of the Johns, it mm -hmm. makes a big splash. Everyone knows the cops are doing something that we asked them to do. And that's why they're doing it. I mean, they, they busted a couple of the stores, and it made made all the local news stories uh, about a year and a half ago. Because, well, gee whiz, we, you know, Leroy, we're going to go Rico, and we're going to do all this wonderful stuff against him, and then we find it just doesn't fly uh, later on. And when the judges come back with, no, this is not obscene, after I viewed it three times, <laughs> you know, of course it's not. You know, you go into a, a trial with these guys, and you're showing 16 films, 
And after the first film, the jury or the judge is like, give me a break. They're tired, they're bored, they don't see it, they sleep. And then they only judge the first film of seeing all the rest of them weren't because they didn't see them. Because they, they snoozed. Yeah. Right, yeah. So that's, that's what I had to say. Well, I mean, I lost it on colorization. <laughs> I, I just had to get the pornography off my chest because Leroy's right, you know, in, in so many ways. Well, again, a big problem we have, too, is that... Uh, uh, X-rated materials don't have many defenders. You know, you get a broad First Amendment defense often that will say, now, I don't like this kind of thing, but you get very few people come out and say, I like it, and it, and you know, and it's defensible on these grounds. Uh, most people take the more timid approach, um, and it's too bad. Andrew Saris, film critic for The Village Voice, periodically uh, comes out and, and writes unqualified defenses of pornography. He likes it. He enjoys it, and, and he will actually discuss it. Uh, but... Most people don't want to defend this kind of thing because, again, it's the unpopular speech. Who wants to defend unpopular speech? It's like the Nazis marching in Skokie. Exactly the same thing. And when the government starts making these definitions of what is and what is not obscene, is you know, we, we lost it. We blew it right there. How many years ago was that? Fifteen years ago, whatever it was. Uh, when we allowed the government to say what is obscene and what is not and try to define it, that was the beginning of the end. And now the road just keeps getting deeper and longer, and we're, I don't know if we're ever going to get out of it. Well, the assumption that most people don't seem to grasp that the government is making is that we cannot, for ourselves, yeah. make a determination. Exactly. We, we can't do it. We've got to have them do it. And if somebody doesn't want to see it, nobody is dragging them in off the street, well, no we, matter what it is. And we're now in a period that supposedly is the most conservative government has been or is likely to be in some time, and we know the conservatives ordinarily want less government, but in fact there's nothing conservative about this no, government no, no. at all. The, the conservatives only want less government when it comes to regulating big business, the people that they represent. They want more government when it comes to regulating public private morality. That's when they want to really step in. This really, this really meets, uh, these two things clash completely in the FCC business because all this talk about the marketplace will decide, the marketplace has decided on Howard Stern and Neil Rogers. There's no question about community standards. The community standard is Neil Rogers. The other stuff is off to the side because the, mo the community standard is Howard Stern. That's what people are listening to. Uh, it, it's you know when the marketplace meets the desire to regulate morally, it's a great you know wonderful explosion for these people. Uh, the thing is, do we have to live with this now? Uh, as Reaganism gradually disappears, we're going to have to live with it for ten or twenty years. We're going to have more of this. Heaven help us. Twenty minutes past one at WINZ. Bill Cosford is here. The movie crib. Twenty-two minutes past one at WINZ. I didn't want. To, I wanted to make you feel a little insecure. And of course you did. But what we see, I purposely opened the phones in the middle of the lunch hour, in the noon hour, which is always an impossible hour to start the phones. Is that what we're on lunch hour? Uh, first comes on to. Well, he does have. Uh, let's go to Hollywood next. Hello, Hollywood. No, they must. They just left to call Ron Sachs, as a matter of fact. Boca, hello. Hello, how you doing? Okay. Yeah, I'd like to make a comment about Woody Allen. I have. A, you said his next movie is untitled. I have a title for it. And it the is? Neuroses of the Rich and Privileged. Okay? Well, what was the first part again? Neuroses. Neuroses of the Rich and Privileged. I have a hard time with Woody Allen. I feel he's very smug in his movies. Yeah. His movies are all about his rich and privileged friends. It's this, very insulated. This is now, I live in New York, and yeah. I don't know... He, he lives in a fantasy land because... Yeah, he's in his own world. His own little and world. And if he wants he to make black and white movies, you know, let him make them, but I don't want to see him. Well, he does live in his own world, and I, I think increasingly you'd find him willing to admit that. Although one of the things he takes a knock for uh, that is shooting almost exclusively in New York uh, and, and placing everything in New York, there's a less, there's a more prosaic answer for, and that is that, that Woody just likes to shoot location as over sets. Uh, largely because he knows he can do so on a lower budget. 
uh, and he knows New York. He feels comfortable there, and he's admitted he doesn't like to, to leave the city. That's where he lives, and basically he shoots things there just because it's easy. Well, I, well, I can understand that. However, he doesn't like to leave it mentally. He no, only he deals with his uh, close uh, circle of friends, and all, all of them are they're very neurotic, they're very privileged, they live in a fantasy world in Manhattan. Amen. And if, you, if you're a regular reader of New Yorker magazine, it seems like you could take any story in New York magazine and it would be a Woody Allen script. It's the same attitude. I, w I would point out, though, that, um, for instance, uh, Purple Rose of Cairo was a film that had nothing to do with anybody or privilege. There was, uh, it was a fantasy about um, a woman during the Depression uh, who had a bad marriage, and a movie actor actually stepped out of the screen and fell in love with her and entered her life. Now, everybody in that was poor except for the actor. Uh, but uh, in an interesting reversal, he had the rich swells frozen up on the screen while their actor was out having an affair in real life. The rest of the people who were in this um, in, a, in a rich uh, setting couldn't they couldn't go on with their scene and they were simply frozen there and kind of immobilized. But for the most part, you're right. Alan does that kind of thing. I happen to still find him very funny. I loved Radio Days, which was only half and half about rich folks. It was a period piece. And the family in Radio Days was... Uh, uh, was you know lower middle class, uh, right relatively there. poor, and he, you know he he is an acquired taste. Not everybody goes for it. Um, some people are turned off by New York humor, but but some other people simply don't like the whole idea. They don't buy the constant neurotic business, and I can understand that. I I can grasp it. Actually, Woody Allen's films are never that popular. I mean, his right. most his well, most popular I, I, film, uh, Annie Hall, was not a big money maker. Yeah, I agree with that view. And also on colorization, I just want to say that I think it does work well with old musicals. I think Yankee Doodle Dandy, it actually, uh, with Jimmy Cagney, I think it actually added to that movie because well, it was a flashy movie to begin with. A number of people um, uh, think that way, although, although they're in the minority, I th at least. No, they're not in the minority. Obviously, most people think colorization is neat because they're watching it. But um, some critics have even made the point that, gee whiz, some of these movies do look better. Uh, the best example I've seen is some old Laurel and Hardy two-reelers that have been colored, and the color is still bad enough so that it's not very good color. And on the Laurel and Hardy two-reelers, it almost looks like one of those old colored postcards where people used to put the pastel photo colors on top of postcards. Uh, and they have a real antique flavor because of that. And they do. They look fine. Yankee Doodle Dandy, I guess, is enough, a piece, enough of a piece of fluff so that right. you can buy it. I, I think really what has people most upset is the idea that Ted Turner, the ultimate Philistine, can do what he wants with those movies. It's the same thing the, uh, the earlier caller mentioned. They you know Michael Jackson owns the Beatles songs and he can do with them what he wants and uh, frankly I don't trust Michael Jackson. I'm not happy about it. Really? No, I don't. The guy... You don't trust Michael Jackson? He's a strange... You know, he keeps giraffes and weasels and stuff and he talks to snakes. The guy is just as... You know, he's a wonderful scandal because Pepsi apparently has this whole generation of ads they can't release with Michael Jackson uh, just because he's, he's too odd. They're afraid that people who drink Pepsi will... Here it comes. Good. Hello, this is Michael Jackson, urging you to help stop the spread of social disease. Don't risk your life by having a romantic encounter with an unfamiliar acquaintance. I urge you to do like I do. Go it alone, but make sure you wear protection. That's why I recommend the Michael Jackson glove. Worn on either hand, the Michael Jackson glove adds the security and peace of mind that I need to do it myself. So remember, before you pull it out, put it on and... Michael Jackson glove, proving once again that a bird in the hand is better than one in the bush. Available in sequin models for extra stimulation. Now, haven't you always wanted to live in a uh, glass bubble? I mean, isn't that just what every uh, neighborhood I, I kid still, wants to... 
I still enjoy this particular spot. This is the best one of those short things that you have. Joe Johnson. Well, listen, he had to do something redeeming in his life before he tried to become a talk show host. Joe is not ordinarily that funny. No, uh, but uh, in fact, he showed... if, you, if you wanted to find out, tune him in some night uh, on Saturday. <laughs> he showed a rare. He's a nice guy. Yes, he really he is. is a nice guy, he's but nice well, guy. he's not funny. You know what I'm saying, Joe? And this is like, uh, you know, if he would have dealt with this thing properly, if he would have sold it or something, uh, he could have probably lived the rest of his life off of that. Now, see, people don't mind stakeouts of uh, Michael Jackson or Madonna and Sean Penn. That's interesting. They don't mind that kind of thing at all. You'd never see Michael Jackson. He doesn't come no, out. No, you don't, you don't see Michael, although I know there's a paparazzo even now outside the uh, Disney attraction in his backyard, you know, lurking and hoping to catch Michael walking mm. around with the, uh, the oxygen tank and everything. Wait a minute. We're being counted Something down. really good is coming up here. Something is happening. What is that? Sonny Fox. Somebody is playing Sonny Fox. Who was that? Oh, that was Sonny Fox calling. I thought somebody was playing a tape of Sonny Fox. What was he saying? He was. I don't even care what he was saying. You believe that Sonny Fox called in he here? He calls every time I'm on, and you always say the we same thing. We never put him on. I don't no, we talk. don't want to talk to you, Sonny. Get lost. <laughs> Go away. Go away. I don't even know Sonny. Now well, I feel kind of consider bad. yourself lucky. Fort Lauderdale. Hello. Are you there? Neil? Hi. Hi, how are you? Great. We haven't spoken for many, many years. How come? The last time I called you, we were speculating on the possibility of Richard Simmons uh, breaking into the Queen's bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) And since then, uh, from what I hear, he probably has. Well, as you recall, we we were talking about the fact that perhaps he was uh, trying to find out how a real queen decorated the boudoir. Exactly. I do remember that. Long time. Yeah, and since then they've closed up most of his uh, joints, so what does that tell you? Yes, indeed. Good talking to you, and uh, I'm back with you again. I'm glad that you're on during the day, and I've enjoyed you thoroughly. Uh, Bill, how are you? Okay, and yourself? Very well, thank you. I have enjoyed your column for a long, long time. I'm glad. Got two questions for you. What is Carol Burnett doing these days? I don't have the answer to that. I wish I had Sansky here. Sansky would know these things. Yeah. But or maybe Jack Sturdy. Or Jack Sturdy might I you know have not heard word one about what she's doing since about a year ago and she was involved with some benefit. Might have been one of the AIDS benefits in Hollywood. I haven't heard a thing. Uh and There's certainly a... no movie plan that I know of, that's for sure. Okay. Uh how about Lily Tomlin? Is she planning to do a movie in the near future? No, she's apparently going to go back. Um, on the stage with uh, the one-woman show, The Search for Intelligent Life in the Universe. Uh, the movie is now out, uh, That uh, the documentary on how she put together that show with Jane Wagner. And this was the movie that, that Lily sued the filmmakers for. After having agreed to, you know, uh, let them film her part of her act, she sued them for taking too much of the act, uh, and the suit eventually was thrown out because uh, the judge ruled that the film was, you know, they, they had not trespassed their agreement. But meanwhile, the... The, the publicity over that and the good reception the film has received uh, has caused her to think that she kind of uh, closed the Broadway show too soon. So she's going to go back to New York and do that. Ah, and I would guess she'd do it for a year or so. Which I'm glad for because I have not seen, seen it and it's supposed to be a marvelous show. Uh, I know you're not Jack Sturdy and I wouldn't even presume to ask this question. However, it has concerned me for, for quite some time. How is Burt Reynolds' health? But Reynolds' health apparently is excellent. Uh, he is, you, you'll notice he's being seen more in public. 
Uh, he uh, has been on more talk shows. He's added some of the weight back. I mean, he's older than he was five years ago, and you can tell that. But aside from that, he's also done a string of films right in a row, boom, boom. His taste is still no better, at least in picking scripts and directors. It never has been quite good. No, well, it was once. He did a film called Starting Over that, in which he was marvelous. Yes. Uh, but um, it, it, it does appear, uh, as I think I suggested a year or so ago, that... Um, the business about TMJ, the transmandibular joint uh, disorder, that bis the um, uh, disorder of the jaw that can really disrupt your equilibrium and requires surgery and extensive uh, recuperation, was exactly what Burt Reynolds did have. At least it's what caused him to lose a lot of weight. Um, you know, the, the, there was a big AIDS rumor, but I got to tell you, if he had AIDS at one point, he doesn't seem to have it now. He's the first. If he has AIDS, he's the first AIDS patient I've seen to, to you know, put 30 pounds back on and go back to work. Well, yeah, I wasn't really alluding to that, although I was quite concerned about his health because I hadn't seen him around for a while. I know he did, as you said, made a, a couple of movies recently and has been. I have not seen him locally on television, so apparently I'm missing him when he's on. Uh, he's um, he's turned up on um, on Carson and a couple of the others. Uh, and every now and then you'll see him in some sort of um, another Hollywood tribute. He's spending more time in California, I think. But but he went through a strange period. He was sick for a while, for for at least a year or so. It was a disabling thing that affected his balance. Then when he had the surgery, apparently, he was unable to uh, eat solid food for a good six months. Um, but the other thing that caught up with him at the same time was he made one too many cannonball runs and one too many Smokey and the Bandits, uh, and his box office appeal had declined while he was still healthy. So combine the two, a couple-year layoff, when he came back, he found that there really weren't many offers, uh, and, and they weren't real good offers. So now he's, uh, you know, he's going to throw together as many films as he can because he wants to work again. But it's a very sad story in one respect in that he was, at one point, the number one box office attraction in the country, and he essentially squandered it himself by doing lousy movies. Yes, indeed. Neil, can I ask you a question? Sure. Because this is out of Bill's purview since he, I know, is uh, into the movie thing. Tell me about your thoughts on uh, Joan Rivers being uh, fired. Boy, I'm glad you asked that question. I think it was one of the most incredible, um, premature, if I can still say that word on the air. But you can't. Uh, premature movements uh, by Fox. I mean, she had just uh, beaten, Neil, she can't. just beat Carson for the third time. Neil, you can't say movement either. Oh no, okay. <laughs> um, well, anyway, I think it was premature. How's that? Uh, you know, she had just beaten Carson for the third time in New York. She beat him, I think, in Washington for the first time. I mean, the, the show was only on for a few months, and here's a guy who's a legend who's just going through the motions. I'm talking about Carson, not funny at all anymore. You're not ex going to expect to put her on. First of all, she's on in a lot of markets on fringe stations, on UHF stations and independents that have minimal viewership, and I think that they really need to give her time to grow. I didn't watch it that much, but I certainly think she's heads and shoulders above Carson. As you say, I couldn't agree with you more. You put it very succinctly. Carson is doing nothing more now than going through. Oh, yeah, he just shows up. Yeah, he exactly. just shows up, well, that's his, all. his guests are no good. Either. No. Every now and then he'll try to do a Letterman thing, but Letterman has so completely eclipsed him, unfortunately, that, you know. It's... And what does that say? Well, <laughs> you're not a big Letterman fan. No, not in the least. I don't yeah. think Letterman's even mildly amusing. The only thing that's amusing on his show is every, when they bring those animals out and the dog will tinkle on the stage, and I don't think Letterman can take much credit for that, you know, unless he's feeding it before the show, but he, he can't take much credit for but it. But it's the kind of thing you don't see very often. Yeah. i, I got to say the decision to go with guest hosts, if that if they think that's going to be the solution to that, uh, yeah. you know, to the, the box show, I mean, that's lunacy. You can't do that. Neil? Yeah. Thank you. Okay, thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Who was it, though, who was rumored as a possible host for that show? Somebody... 
Howard Stern. Yeah, Howard Stern, right. Well, that, Howard allegedly is uh, going to be on, I don't know, either work. after that show or somewhere. I don't know. He allegedly is getting a show on Fox. That could work, but the problem is there you're beginning with essentially two markets. He's starting with New York and Philadelphia, where you'll have a decent audience, and yeah. he'd have to be given time. Well, the to... question is, is he going to be allowed to do the things that he does on the radio? And I think no, Certainly which not. is interesting. No. It's very interesting, because on television, sexual innuendo and all of this other stuff is rampant. It's in almost every show. It's in the commercials. It's everywhere. And we in radio are the ones that they keep sticking the thumb down on. But interestingly enough, if he were to try to go on television and do what he does on radio, they never let it go. Standards and practices would never let the language go. No, I think the lesson there is that network television is far more regulated than, you know, than I mean, network radio is carefully regulated, too. But um, individual radio stations may allow some latitude. I mean, network television is, is absurd. and they, But they know... But it, no, I don't agree they, with you. They, they under, test the under the, very uh, no, I don't agree with you. Regulated, theoretically, they are. Well, I, I don't mean regulated in a legal sense. I mean with, from within. Oh, I see. That whole yeah. standards and practices yeah. business. I mean, because the if, the commission really, if the commission were looking at them the way they're looking at oh, Howard well. Stern or at radio now, eighty uh, percent of the shows would be off the air. But even the sitcoms, all those cute little family ties and all of those shows. The amount of sexual innuendo and cute little uh, jokes and snickering it goes on. If you took it out of there, there's no script left. But there's no way that uh, the FCC is going to go after that because I th I think they widely regard radio's constituency as powerless or apathetic, yeah. uh, and I well, think probably when they when they look at radio they think FM anyway. It's kids, you know. It's all kids and old folks. You know who cares about either one of them? TV start messing around with prime time, and all of a sudden then you'll have a real uproar, or presumably you will have one thirty-seven and W twenty-one before two at WINZ and the uh, phones are full. You've had a great response here today. You ought to feel really uh, full of it. You just. <laughs> and I certainly do. I, thanks to you, I do feel full of it. I wanted to add one thing. I don't know what made me think of this. We were just talking about radio during the break, but I am deeply disappointed that it appears that Larry King is clinging is to coming the back air on, slot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because for for a while, the prospect that he would be altogether off the air in this market was just... Yeah. Wonderful. This, Great. I mean, if Phenomenal. We get this What's the question? If we get you know, this weasel I, off the air and keep him off would be in great Well, yeah, and the reason that he, he bounces around here so much is that the people in this market know him better than anywhere else, and they see through him, and they're not going to listen to him. They know he's just a stumble bum from Brooklyn or wherever, and he's just, uh, you know, owes everybody money, and the guy's just uh, got a little bit of luck, which I don't begrudge him, but I just don't want to listen to him. I was, uh, I think we could have a great guest on this show. We don't have a lot of guests, so you ought to feel honored. That you're among the select few, but how about Angie Dickinson's optometrist? Huh? Seriously, we could plumb, we could definitely plumb the depths of the human psyche. Exactly. If we knew exactly what he has put on her contact. No lens. question about it, or elsewhere. Miami, hello. Hi, Neil. Yeah. I'd like to ask about, uh, you know, you're talking, let's bash the Herald a little. My favorite columnist, uh, my gag on is Lucy Cooper, and I'd like to know. Does she work for the Herald? Does she work for independent restaurants? Or does she show on a part-time? I thought she had to have some kind of uh, credibility. Well, she does work for the Herald, and um, although I don't always agree with her restaurant reviews, uh, I think really? she, has, she has credibility in that she's a, a splendid cook herself and knows food very well, and she does visit the restaurants anonymously. It sounds like the caller has disagreed with Lucy on more occasions than I have, however. So on balance, I find her very dependable. No, I hear uh, advertising on other radio stations that they're going to hold a party at a certain restaurant and uh, she's going to be there with some radio host. And I was wondering, do you think that's... Yeah, that's certainly a uh, question of credibility. I haven't heard about that. Yeah, that question of credibility, like another uh, restaurant critic in town, I don't want to mention his name, but um, 
You know, when these people start shilling for certain uh, establishments, where's the credibility like? This one I really don't know anything about. Yeah, you'll so, check into it, though. Uh, well, I mean... You'll be standing outside the next restaurant that she goes to in her trench coat. Certainly. We'll, you and that, we'll uh, stake it out. You but. and that twerp will be standing outside. <laughs> North Miami, hello. Hello, uh, Mr. Cofford. Yes. Yeah, I'll tell you, the uh, little complaint I have about these colorization films, uh, I don't believe they're colorizing the, the films that are colorful enough to uh, to colorize. You follow what I mean? Like the other night they had on the Fighting 69th. It's a drab type of uh, picture, you know. Uh, it just wasn't colorful enough. And uh, it, it, it was more brown than anything. Mm. Uh, now, Ted Turner has access to all the MGM library, plus the pre-1948 Warner Brothers films. He could do a lot of these old Busby Berkeley musicals, Captain Courageous, Mutiny on the Bounty, and uh, he's not using the right discretion, I think. How well, do you feel about that? I would guess he's, he'll get to those biggies, but it seems to me the strategy has been to begin with three or four uh, key high-profile films like It's a Wonderful Life, colorize them, and then put the colorizing attention toward those movies that are really not selling well in the market or that are not proven ratings-getters, because these, are pre these presumably are the weak ones uh, where color might make a big difference in viewership. Uh, I, I can only figure that uh, there's a, a core audience for the musicals and that they may not get around to those for a while because they figure they're, they're going to get watched and they're going to get sold anyway. And he's got another drab one coming up next month, Father of the Bride, which wasn't even a good picture to begin with. Well, a lot of these aren't good pictures, make no mistake. And then the other irony is many of them were made in black and white only because there was no color film or the production couldn't afford color film. Uh, nonetheless, there are those films lurking in that catalog, such as... You know, the film noirs, the, the uh, John Huston uh, films like Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Madre, right? Yeah, that, Casablanca. It really, uh, and Casablanca is an example. Citizen Kane, I'm sure somebody will colorize sooner or later just to be perverse. Turner will be the principal guy. And these are movies that just don't belong in color, uh, and it's too bad. I, I don't take the, uh, you know, the Siskel view that the world is falling down and we should crucify Turner. But, but it's an interesting conflict because... On the contrary, I, don't, I give him all the credit in the world for what he's doing. First of all, he's getting a lot of uh, sponsorship from, uh, from these. Well, he's making dough, and the guy knew, and he needs dough. I mean, CNN is not exactly <laughs> a barn burner when it comes to profits. So. Another thing I have a little bit against uh, the TBS network, uh, I don't know how you feel about it, but uh, I'm a baseball fan. I love to watch the Atlanta Braves games. Yep. And this business of tape delaying the game. Oh, I agree yeah. with you, boy. Yeah. I couldn't agree with no, you more. Because, because these it, basketball games go on forever. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, they got to make up their mind what they want to be. And, of course, since he owns the Braves, one would think that the first priority... Uh, would want to see, uh, yeah, yeah, would be to see all the Braves games live. But there's nothing worse than turning over to the Mets game and hearing a partial score, like in the sixth or seventh inning, and then having to turn over and watch the game from the beginning when blown. you know the outcome right. exactly. Incidentally, uh, Bill, uh, there was one film you reviewed a couple of years ago. I couldn't agree with you more. And you know, I have a video store, and I really pushed the film. It's uh, one called Racing with the Moon. Oh yeah, not a nice movie. I remember it's your nice words. Movie. You said it restores your faith in movie making. Yeah. Yeah, that was a real nice movie. And the, and the director, Richard Benjamin, has not done many other films. I know, it and bad. it was some classic movie. Yeah. Okay, thanks a lot. He owns a video store. Now, there's, there's yeah. a guy I sympathize with. There's one of our pioneers. Mother Target. May he do well. May he prosper. Sonny Isles, hello. Yes, I thought I was listening to a movie critic, and all I've been listening to is everything else. May I ask you a question about Bruce Willis? Yes. His last picture? Blind Date. Blind Date. I loved it. So did I. Do you know anything about him? 
his bio before moonlight? No, I don't. That, unfortunately, I don't. Uh, I uh, and, and I do watch a lot of television, but I don't watch the same kind that uh, Sonsky and Jicka and uh, Neil Rogers watch. I don't watch a lot of primetime television, and I've only seen Moonlighting, I think, once. Huh? Uh, usually I'm out doing something else during, you know, I may be seeing movies. I've never seen it. Uh, oh, you've never seen Moonlighting? No. I don't it know what makes you think I watch those network shows. I don't it's watch It's a marvelous it. reputation. Everybody likes the show. But uh, Willis's popularity I was aware of from the show, um, and, had, you know, I'd seen one and perhaps snippets of others, um, and, and I just I found him delightful in Blind Date, but I don't know where he came from before that, no. New York, and I'm assuming that he was of Italian extraction. Hmm. Well, your guess is as good as mine. Because his, his uh, video was uh, Bruno, about Bruno. And, uh, but I, I haven't seen any bio on him at all, even People's Magazine. Oh, I see. You're saying you haven't seen a feature story on him. I'm not sure that I've seen very many either. I, uh, I haven't seen anything. And I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm interested because I, I like him. And I, I, I like that's the only thing on, uh, on 10 that I even watch. Well, I'm not sure whether we've had a, a, a profile on him or not. Um, it's possible that he doesn't do many interviews, though it seems unlikely. Most TV people do. Um... I just, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm I hope up blank. it comes out, or maybe I'll, I'll go to California and find out for myself. Okay. Oh, keep have reading. A, it will come trip. up sooner or later. Miami, hello. Yeah, hi, Neil. Hi. Uh, how are you? Okay. Uh, Bill, uh, I was wondering, one of my favorite actors is Al Pacino. You very rarely hear much about him. You know what he's doing now? Uh, he's not doing anything right now, um, and uh, his career took a kind of a... Unexpected. Uh, oh, good. Godfather music. My favorite movie, too. Yeah. An unexpected um, uh, slide. He was one of those uh, New York-based actors who um, I think actually preferred the stage. Uh, and he would break every now and then. Uh, I, I saw him in American Buffalo a couple years ago, which he had done twice. Uh, and I think he may have broken once too often. Uh, that and he made a couple uh, films that really didn't go anywhere. What was the story on that revolution? Uh, Revolution, I never saw. I understand it was a perfectly um, terrible movie. Uh, the a big problem with it may have been that it was a uh, it was the first uh, big budget film about the American Revolution. And I don't know how long it was made by a British director, right? Uh, Hudson, Hugh Hudson, uh, and that's something of a problem because I think the perspective they brought to it was odd. You know, it has Al Pacino and Nastasia Kinski in it, and she's box office poison and has been for her entire career. So. Uh, the, I believe the film came here and played for a week when I was on vacation once. I never got a chance to see it, but I understand it was awful. Yeah, the only place you can really get it is on uh, tape. Yeah, well, I, one of these days I'm going to rent it because I'm still curious about it. It's, it's not bad. It's not great, but it's not bad. Uh, one other thing. Uh, any word I heard about Godfather 3, is that... Have you heard anything about that? The last I heard, it was off. But, off, huh? Uh, on the other hand, uh, and the last I heard, Chinatown 2 was off, and uh, others talk it may be on again. Uh, one of the things that's going to happen in the wake of the collapse of Ishtar is that there's probably going to be a little moratorium on big-budget production, uh, and I mean big, huge-budget production. There's no question that Godfather 3 would be a huge-budget kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and so everybody's going to be a little scared and a little on hold for a while because Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman and Elaine May are about to go out and lose uh, tens of millions of dollars, and that always frightens people because those are supposed to be box office guarantees. Right. Neil, one thing I heard, Neil, that you uh, you like Scarface? No. Oh, you didn't. I hated Scarface. Oh, okay, I, I wasn't sure. I, no, I, I thought it was a horrible movie. I thought so it, it was 
totally uh, without any redeeming value whatsoever. Well, that's true. <laughs> None. No, no zero. Violence. From the same director of The Untouchables on June 5th. Even uh, Stephen Bauer. I mean, uh, forget it. There was nothing redeeming in that movie at all. You'll like The Untouchables. Of course, you know I liked Injustice for All. I thought that was great. Yeah, that's a nice movie. So, and uh, you, you, you're a Godfather fan, I'm sure. You bet. My favorite. I, I bet you I've seen parts one and two 20 times a piece. I've got them on tape, and I can watch them every day. Yeah, me too. Okay. Hey, nice talking to you. Take care. Thanks. Ten minutes before two at WINZ. Bill Cosford is here. Boy, you haven't uh, done anything about foreign film today. You haven't gotten... Uh, you've been very, you know, mainstream here today. Foreign it's film market great. is in complete disarray. Good. Boy, and, that's the way um, we like it. This is a great time for American films. The summer boom is about to start. It's going to be a oh, new yeah, we're going to get all those uh, teenage summer uh, Frankie Avalon and all of those oh, other and people. Are, and Frankie yeah. Avalon are coming back. That's going to be marvelous. There's a Superman 4. <laughs> that'll be stupid. But uh, there's a new James Bond that might be interesting. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff coming. The Untouchables I've already seen. It's good. It's a solid, you know, enjoyable movie. Yeah. I hear uh, the new James Bond is going to be Dom DeLuise. Okay, let's do our last break, and we'll come back with uh, Bill Cosford and your calls. Seven before two at WINZ. It's interesting. Maybe just a coincidence. You've had several calls from people in phone booths today, like this next caller. Hello. Hello, Neil. Hi. How are you? Good. Great show. I hope you have Bill back again soon. Uh, I was just trying to get your opinion on a particular Woody Allen movie that most people never even heard of. And that was called The Front. Mm, the Front. Very interesting. One of his few... I mean, it has its humorous moments, but essentially it's a drama. Yeah. And um, it was a um, actually quite a good film about a period of time that I think most people have forgotten, Hollywood blacklisting and all the rest. I liked it a great deal. Uh, unfortunately, it was off the Woody Allen track, uh, as was Interiors, um, with the result that many people, you're right, don't think of it when they think of Woody Allen. Yeah, because, you know, like at the end, I think Herschel Bernardi was in, Zero Mostel, and everything, everybody else, and, you know, and... A, a number of people who were victim of the uh, McCarthy... Right, right on the screen, blacklisted, blacklisted, blacklisted. I thought it was real good. I don't know if Neil ever saw it. Yeah, I did see it, and I would agree with you. It was an ex probably the only Woody Allen movie I ever liked. You ever liked yeah, it? Yeah, I, I thought it was great. Yeah, it had some good meat on it. Yeah. Okay, thank you, and great show. Thank you. Kendall, hello. Yes, hello. Uh, I'd like to speak to Bill Carter, please. Speaking. Yes, um... First of all, I appreciated your piece uh, about uh, colorization. And while on the subject of colorization, I want to talk about decolorization of the Vietnam War movies. I'm a black veteran, and I'm concerned about the absence of the, of the role that the, the infantry, black infantrymen played in Vietnam. And I can't find it, not even in, in, in Coppola's Apocalypse Now. I couldn't see it. I didn't see it in, in, in Deer Hunter or in, in any of the war movies, especially Platoon. And, and, and it seemed like the black uh, race has been denigrated uh, when the black race was sort of elevated on the front line. Mm -hmm. uh, at least 20% of the combatants were black. Um, but in some units, there were about 40%. And the percentage ranged a great deal higher. Yes. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, uh, the way uh, uh, movie making is structured today, there are very few black directors, and there is none I can think of who can summon the kind of budget required to make a war movie on any sort of scale. I mean, you're talking, uh, Platoon, I think, costs only $9 million. Um, and, and there were many economies there. But, but that's that's not, not a big budget by Hollywood standards, but it's big by the standards of a director who is, doesn't have a proven track record. It's difficult to find a black director, director who can get that kind of money. Hence, you're getting the perspective of white men who may or may not have served. Uh, and Stone, Oliver Stone, who made Platoon, um, I'm sure he knows what it was like, but that's 
you know, his film is shaped in large part by his recollections, which... So which is my point, because man. he was in the 25th Infantry Division. I was assigned to that unit in 71, and, and you know, there was even a, a, a black mutiny in that in that outfit, and, and it, it, it was suppressed here in the media, and, and, and I thought maybe he would have brought some of that out, you know, there was black-white confrontation, not, not only in the rear echelon, uh, but also in the front line. It is um, one of the Vietnam stories that's never been told. Uh, I, I'm not necessarily going to fault uh, Stone for not telling it because that's not, you know, he essentially wanted to tell the story of his experience, I think. And, uh, but you're right, it, and it's not, it's not some small corner of it. It's a principal part of that experience, particularly what was giving, going on back here in the States. The Civil Rights Movement was still, uh, you know, a very vital thing. Um, I am sure that sooner or later someone will deal with that subject. Vietnam, there's now open but season on Vietnam. I'm coming to. I want to write a screenplay about my experiences, and I'll tell it like it is. How feasible is it to get a hearing in Hollywood? I mean, you know, I'm way in Miami, Florida, and no experience in the film, but I'm sure I can do a credible job uh, doing a movie on, on, on the black role of Vietnam. Well, how feasible is it to approach Hollywood directly over the transom? Uh, it's feasible, but it's uh, extremely difficult. Um, the problem is you will uh, write a script that, uh, you know, may be, uh, it may be perfectly wonderful, but the moment you are peddling a script, you're no longer a black man with a good story. You're simply one of many people with a script. There's a lot of people out there peddling them. There, is, there are some options you might consider locally, however. If you write the script and you have any confidence in it at all, you could enter it in this Florida governor's screenwriting contest because, although that's no guarantee of anything, it suddenly calls the script to the attention of people who can get them made. I know some people who did this. They won the contest. Their script is in the hand of, hands of producers now. They're if he calls you with the Herald, can you give more information on sure. how to get... Sure. You will. Yep. Excellent. Okay, we're at the end of the line. Boy, this thing zipped by today. I can't believe it. Yeah, we could well, do a public service and do two more hours, but we won't do that. I should have come earlier. Excellent show. We thank you as always. You're a gentleman, a scholar, even if you do work for the Herald. And I do work for the Herald. And we, as and we didn't have any sued stuff today. It was incredible. We've really, I told you we would reform you sooner or later. We brought you back into the real world with real living people. I am reformed now. I told you I renounced uh, Sudism the last time. Excellent. And tomorrow he's canceling his subscription to the Herald. Incredible. Okay, that's going to do it. We thank Bill Cosford for being with us. Tomorrow we have, um, let's see, Congressman Larry Smith will be with us for half an hour at 11 o'clock. And uh, right now we invite you to stay tuned. Daffy McCallum is going to be along. The History of White People in South